0: Digital Gonzo episode 65 Dated Thursday the 29th of March 2012 Game of Thrones Part 1 A Song of Ice and Fire You understand why I did it?
1: He ran away He was a deserter
2: You understand why I had to kill him? I, Edard, the House Stark Sentence you to die the man who passes a sentence Should swing the sword
3: sweet summer child what do you know about fear
1: there's a war coming ned i don't know when but it's coming
3: fear is for the long night when the snows fall a hundred feet
4: deep
2: you were trained to follow i was trained to kill
4: fear is for the winter
2: winter is coming
0: Welcome back to the Gonzo Reviews. This time we're covering a TV show based on a best selling series of fantasy novels. This is the first of two podcasts, with this initial installment being a spoiler free taste of the world of Westeros itself the history, the families, and the books. In a few days' time, the second part will cover the entire 10 episode first series of Game of Thrones, with spoilers from the very beginning. So if you've not yet had the pleasure, listen to this one first, then go watch the series or read the book, then come back back to us, and we shall discuss. With me on the wall for the first time on Digital Gonzo, it is the most popular girls on the internet, Tara and Sassy.
5: Hello.
0: (laughs) Hello, ladies. And Sharon Shaw of Gonzo Planet returns from Harry Potter reviews with a taste for this podcasting lark. Hello. And from and Rince, Joshua Garrity brings us his unique blend of sober, insightful, and occasionally deadpan hilarious commentary. Hello there. Well, hello there. Before we start, a quick position check to see how much of the books we have read. I am halfway through book three, Storm of Swords. Sharon?
3: Um, technically, I'm at the same place, but I would say nearly finished.
0: Nearly finished on the halfway point, yeah. Um,
6: and Josh, you are Halfway through book two, Clash of Kings. And Sassy?
7: Uh, I read the first three and started the fourth one twice, okay. but I was... You know, there was a gap between when I read them. Right. I couldn't remember what it was going on, so I'm like, I'm just gonna wait till they all come out
5: and read them all at the same time.
0: <laughs> See what you needed previously on Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Terra.
5: I completed *A Dance with Dragons* last summer. <laughs>
0: You must know things. <laughs> okay, you I'm must not know things telling. that you are not telling. The rule is for this first show, steer well clear of anything that might be considered a spoiler for any of the books. Show two, do not move beyond the last page or the final minute of Game of Thrones. That's the rule.
7: I have a quick question. Yeah. Um did you guys read the books or watch the series first?
0: I had heard fantastic things about the series. I got the first book and read all the way through to the end before I started watching the series. Okay. Um, uh, Josh?
6: Um, I'd started watching the, I'd watched the majority of the show before I'd started reading the book. Right. I, I felt the need to like, get... Because I felt like I, I might be missing out on some details the fans knew about, mm. so I thought it would be wise to read the books as well.
0: Back in Digital Cowboys episode two hundred and one, Tara confessed that one of the people on her No Questions Asked list was this book's author, George R. R. Martin. And if you've seen the portly bearded, jolly sea captain looking fellow on film, you'll infer along with me that it has to be his amazing mind capable of transporting us to vividly realized, gritty and realistic worlds that has won over the heart of our resident Redhead.
5: It is true.
0: <laughs> I mean, he can turn heads. But, uh, but it's his mind that gets us going. <laughs> so, um a story, George. You've gotten to the end of the most recent book. When did you first start reading these, Tara?
5: I started reading them right out of Cassandra's recommendation. This was early on in our friendship. She lent me a copy of A Game of Thrones, and I read it cover to cover, and immediately hopped onto Amazon and ordered the rest of the books that had been published. And I just one by one devoured them, and could not wait for the last, the the most recent book to come out, which came out towards the end of the season for HBO running a Game of Thrones.
0: Oh yes, yeah. just the title, A Dance of Dragons, has got me hot under the collar already. But no, <laughs> nothing, on, nothing on that. No yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean I'm going to ask you in a bit why the books are special but we're going to kick off with an overview of what people need to know before starting okay so this is basically this is kind of like that history of Hogwarts I did um, a couple of weeks ago on Harry Potter but a lot shorter So the story mostly takes place on a continent named Westeros, home to seven kingdoms, in which various families have been vying for power for millennia. More recently, House Targaryen, who used dragons to conquer the land, held dominion for three hundred years as high kings that the other houses had to swear fealty to. Bisecting the landscape is an enormous wall in the borderlands of the frozen north, erected some 6,000 years ago by the first men, to keep a race of wraith-like ghouls named the White Walkers out of the populated southern part of the continent. The wall is patrolled by the Night's Watch, a monastic brotherhood of rangers, stewards and builders, who have in recent years dwindled in number their noble lifetime of devotion used as a punishment for rapers and thieves, rather than a choice of selfless warriors." Seventeen years before the story starts, the Mad King Aerys Targaryen is on the throne. His son Rhaegar steals away with Lyanna Stark, sister to Eddard, played by Sean Bean from the posters, and betrothed of Robert Baratheon, played by Mark Addy. Eddard's father and brother Rickard and Brandon Stark appeal to the king, but the madman has them butchered in front of him. Robert Baratheon stages an uprising at the Battle of the Trident, he kills Rhaegar, the king's son. Sadly, his beloved Lyanna dies as well. Tywin Lannister, ex-hand of the king, which is to say chief advisor who does all the work, sends his armies to the capital city of King's Landing, apparently to give House Targaryen aid. Once inside the walls, they lay waste to the city. Tywin's son, Jaime Lannister, in his trusted and celibate role of the Kingsguard, further betrays Aerys by stabbing him in the back. The Lannisters then kill the remaining Targaryen children, although the eldest boy Viserys and his pregnant mother escape to safety. In the aftermath, the still grieving Robert claims the throne and Tywin Lannister offers his daughter Cersei as a means of combining the power of houses Lannister and Baratheon. On a side note, Tywin had previously offered his daughter to Rhaegar. Eddard, in the meantime, has married the woman who was originally betrothed to his now-dead brother Brandon, Caitlin Tully. When he returns from this war... To the Stark home of Winterfell, he brings with him a baby boy born of another woman. This bastard is given the traditional northern name for his kind, Jon Snow. Over time, Cersei bears Robert three golden-haired children. Eddard and Caitlin have three boys and two girls. Jamie Lannister remains in the Kingsguard, though he now bears the nickname Kingslayer. The Targaryen prince, who escaped to safety in the eastern continent of Essos, gains a new baby sister named Daenerys, but they both lose their mother during the birth. Young Vasaris grows up convinced that one day he will take back his righteous throne from the usurper, Baratheon. Robert and Eddard's guardian, Jon Arryn, coincidentally married to Catelyn's sister Lysa, takes up the role of hand to King Robert. The story of Game of Thrones starts when Arryn dies mysteriously, and a new hand needs to be appointed. Robert chooses his old battle companion, Eddard Stark. And on a final note, Westeros experiences incredibly long and erratic seasons, with summers and winters often lasting for years. As the first story begins, they are in the ninth year of an unusually long summer, and it is whispered grimly amongst the people, especially in the north, that... Winter is coming. I'm going to start off with the title map. Like Lord of the Rings before them, and indeed Narnia, they have made Westeros a character in this. One
6: thing they do really well in the show with the intro is that with every episode they show off a different location and Mm. its relevance to the story at that point in the series. And it does a really good job of building this geography in your head. So hmm. you you have like just with Lord, just like with Lord of the Rings, you have a vague understanding of where everything is. So you know Westeros, not Westeros, sorry, that's the whole place. Um, hmm. Winterhold is up in the north. Uh, King's Landing's down below, and then Winterfell. You have, Did you say Winterhold? I I'm thinking of Skyrim. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, interesting
0: Skyrim was thinking of Westeros. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
6: I, I mean Winterfell uh, is up in the north and you know you have the Narrow Sea to the east mm-hmm. with um the Dalfraki in the east. Um and it's they don't they never go into detail um about the apart from the map at the beginning of the book um and some references to stuff like that, they never go into that kind of detail in the book or as the show progresses, so having that little intro at the beginning really helps you know mm. clarify where everyone is in the world
0: it 's entirely cGI as well it looks like an incredibly intricate model in fact it, it that 's um, made even. That's sold even better by that. If you watch for carefully, there's this sort of double flick. It happens twice in it, which actually Sharon mentioned, and I hadn't worked it out. Is a jeweler's eyeglass going for like double magnification? Uh-huh. It makes it seem like this incredibly intricate clockwork um, puzzle slash game board, like an like the the most expensive game of Risk ever. Yes, uh, but it's all CGI.
5: I was in love with it the first time I saw it because when it panned up on the wall, it was exactly how I had pictured the wall Mm. to be in my imagination as I was reading the book. It just that just the beginning, the title map blew my mind.
0: I think that's... I actually saw that on YouTube before I bought the book and then I went straight out and bought the book because I thought, I need to know what goes on here. <laughs> that's before I'd seen an episode of it. I just thought, nah, okay. The music certainly helps as well. Yeah. It's just epic and sweeping. The soundtrack is uh, Raman Jowadi, who you will have maybe heard doing the soundtrack to Slumdog Millionaire, amongst others.
7: I think in the book, too, though, it the land itself is parallel with the families in a way.
4: Mm. Mm. I mean, the,
7: def- the different houses are so important and they all have their own characteristics and, you know, mentality. The, n- the northern people are much more serious and, you know, ready to prepare. In the south, life is, especially in this prolonged summer, mm. it's, very, it's mu- much more relaxed, but at the same time, they have more time to play the Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because they have to be less concerned with... You know, being able to survive. So yeah. They have a
5: very leisurely lifestyle. Just, at least that's kind of what it seems to be in the book.
0: Mm. Whereas the the Northerners, kind of somewhat paralleling with the North of England, um, consider that you know day, that life is really only worth living if you're working so hard that you're sweating blood.
5: <laughs> well, even in even in their summers, their climate is quite harsh compared mm. to the south. Yeah, they still have snow, and you know. And it's cool. harder for
3: them to prepare for the um, the long winters as well, because in yes. terms of having enough food stored and um, and things like that. I mean, I would imagine even in the south, these the, the incredibly long winters probably aren't quite so bad.
0: We did some geography earlier today, and I uh, did some checking up. Uh, Westeros, uh, the charted parts of Westeros, are three thousand miles end to end and nine hundred miles across, and if you consider that the stuff at the top is, you know, it's edging onto polar regions, so it's kind of like Alaska, and the stuff at the bottom is equatorial, so it's like South America, you can infer from that that the planet they're on is roughly the same size as Earth. And I think Sharon and I worked out that to have the kind of winters that would be erratic and somehow some would last a year, some would last ten years, it has to be orbiting a sun that's that's much bigger than our sun, but that they're much further away and that occasionally planets come in between them and that there is a lasting darkness and a lasting cold.
7: Yeah, I had wondered about that, if there was any... um Anything that you'd seen online or anybody about, you know, what does their planet do? Is it, are they on some kind of weird elliptical mm. path, or something? I don't know, like what makes it, it is of-
6: it is actually possible? Um, it, it for scientifically, it just they'd have to be at a certain angle from yeah. the sun and a certain distance um, to ha- still have a day cycle but have those incredibly long seasons Mm.
3: also um, I think another thing that supports the theory that there are other planets coming in between them and their sun Mm. is the fact that they still call it a year if it was simply that it took them much much longer to go around the sun that would be a year for them Mm. so it would you know, a a turn of seasons irrespective of how long in actual ageing terms um, a, Mm. a summer and a winter was they would still call it a year Mm-hmm.
0: Right. When it comes to adaptation, um, I've, we've said over and over again in these podcasts that uh, when you adapt books to film, you have to keep cutting away things and cutting away and you have to focus on the, the language of cinema to get things across. Now, with Game of Thrones, it's different because they have spent 10 hours on this one book for this mm-hmm. first series and they've got pretty much everything in there.
7: Yeah,
4: It's
0: fantastic. To finally see that done and done so right, it, it, it boggles my mind.
7: Well, for me and Tara, you know, as you know, we both read the books five years or whatever before the series yeah. came out. I mean, that's our major concern is we love these books, we love these stories so much, and we don't want them to butcher them. And mm-hmm. you know, there's the intricacies between all the houses and all the people and the characters that you get to know are. I mean, that's what makes the story. It's, it's not necessarily just action and that type of thing. Mm. But I think we were both pleasantly surprised. I was, for sure.
5: <laughs> I was so pleased. And for, for months and months before the series came out, I would just look online and see how they were coming along with the series. And, yeah. and that was my concern is, please don't ruin these special stories for me.
6: Mm.
5: I would I be very sad.
6: I think structurally, um, TV is much more similar to novels and books Mm. than uh, movies are anyway, and it boggles the mind that people haven't tried this more often, to be honest, because... They have so much more uh, room to breathe with this TV show. They can have those little moments, those little character moments, that in a film would just be chopped out because it's unnecessary to the major plot, but are so essential to making you fall in love with the characters.
0: I think the entire first series cost them $60 million to make, which is... Still, a quarter of the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and look what they accomplished in ten hours. I
7: was just going to say that I think that the BBC has more miniseries types where they can where they can create a, a series about a book.
4: Mm-hmm. You know,
7: they you know it's, it's shown on like Masterpiece Theater over here, where they'll have um, you know Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, and it's you know six hours long or something like that, and. Over here in the States, in the 70s, as I was growing up, they did that a lot as miniseries. Hmm. But the miniseries seemed to have died where I remember, you know, when Roots came out
0: as a mini I <laughs> was just going to say Roots. We're watching that right now.
7: <laughs> it was a huge phenomenon, and it really gave you a chance to, to, to see the whole book in a way hmm. that a movie is never going to do that.
0: It's six yeah. hour and a half long episodes, which it seems old yeah. in TV terms.
5: But one of the things that movies and television have a hard time conveying are people's inner thoughts.
0: Mm.
5: And one of the things that I thought Game of Thrones did very well, it was either the acting or the writing. You could tell when people were upset. You could almost see from their actions or the way they'd stalk that you would, you know, you kind of knew what they were thinking, even if you hadn't read the books. Yeah. Because the
7: uh, the books are written each chapter is a different point of view.
5: Mm.
7: And as they were creating the series, you know, I'm watching trailers and things like that. I was I was wondering how are they going to do that? Are they just going to get rid of it completely cuz it is one thing I really like is you get mm-hmm. all these different perspectives in the book. Um they didn't do that in the series. They you know, you, it's all kind of mushed together.
0: Yeah. It's not but, precisely done like that, but you definitely get yeah. ones which are uh, more character focused.
7: Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't disappointed that the TV that the show didn't didn't do that. I mean, I I knew you have to give certain concessions when you're mm. going to watch, <laughs> and it just makes sense, you know, to to edit it that way.
0: So. Yeah. They also um, there's several times when they have to convey quite a bit of information that in the book is just there, but they. <laughs> Occasionally, and this would be, could, be, could have been done so clumsily, someone will turn to another person and say, as well you know, our winters last 10, ten years sometimes. Uh, but it, they, they do it just right. They have just the right person ask just the right question. Uh, and so it doesn't come off as too clumsy. And they only ever t- tend to tell you stuff you actually need to know for the plot, and they, they keep the garnish out. But they also manage to get a lot of a richness of character in there as well, so you, you don't just get what you'd normally get on film, which is the bare minimum of absolutely everything from the book, plus some extra stuff they threw in to link it all together.
7: Yeah, I mean, there's so many characters. My, my favorites, I don't know if we're going to go into this in a second, but my favorites are Arya and Tyrion. Everybody loves them of course, but oh, I crops. think they did uh, such a great job of taking them from the page to the series because you do, you know, everything you love about Ty- Tyrion in the series is what
0: you've the about. I was going to say Tyrion, but I thought, right. am I wrong? <laughs> Tyrian,
7: Tyrion, Tyrion. Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I get for reading the books first, you know? Do you ever yeah. do that? You'll read a book and then you see a movie or something and you're like, that's how you pronounce all those names?
0: <laughs> still pronounce Catelyn, Caitlin. it's Catelyn, isn't it? Actually, yeah, no, one of my questions is going to be about, about casting, and, you know, pretty much across the board, it, again, I'm going to compare this to Lord of the Rings several times, spot on, It's absolutely everyone, aside from possibly Peter Baelish, the actor of who, whom I really annoys the hell out of me, um, pretty much everyone is spot on.
7: Yeah, the only one I was a little disappointed in was... Um John Snow.
0: Really? Really?
7: He, he, he wasn't what he what I pictured him as. He's he's a little more baby faced than I pictured him. He's only
3: four he's in, the in the book. book.
7: No, but, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I imagined him more angular. I guess. Uh, you know, I, like I was not. Yeah.
0: You know nothing, Cassandra Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry.
7: And, and the other thing too is because you know I read them earlier, and in the books all the kids are younger than they are on the show.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. they actually they make a point of that. They say you know, uh, and who else could uh, was a correct shot at ten when everyone who's read the book knows Brand's supposed to be seven? They bump everyone forwards like three yes. years.
3: Mm-hmm. But there, there is a very important reason for that because it's it's based very much on the um, the sort of medieval um, style of of history um, mm-hmm. period of history should I say, and that there was no there's no such thing as the teenage years in in that particular era you 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 know if you're a girl there's a you, you get to the point where you are capable of bearing children and bam that's it you're married and, and expected mm-hmm. to fulfill all wifely duties but it would be very difficult even on HBO um, mm. to get that across in yeah. a way that wouldn't seem completely obscene yeah. frankly so well, uh, I, they I they I had to sort them. of nudge everybody up a bit I think.
7: I also think that the level of acting ability for the mm. children, mm. That, that maybe they needed a little bit m- more mature actors, you know, especially for a role like Arya. That's such a major role. Mm. I mean, I don't know if, you know, a, an eight year old or whatever could get the depth. Yeah. Acting. Yeah. I don't know. You
0: know <laughs> but. Uh, she managed to be incredibly charming and incredibly um, feisty. Mm. And, she, she captured the character in the way that Dakota Blue Richards managed to get Lyra in the Golden Compass spot on. I was just extremely... I'm extremely pleased whenever I see her on screen because she just has that kind of... I, don't know, I get kind of a fatherly feeling towards her, maybe. I, <laughs> I, asked, I asked Lyra today, would you mind if I called you Arya for a bit? She went, "No." Nah. <laughs> I've always wanted to see the war. You're Tyrion Lannister.
2: The Queen's brother? My greatest accomplishment. you, you're Ned Stark's bastard, aren't you? Did I offend you? Sorry. You are the bastard, though. Lord Edit Stark is my father. And Lady Stark is not your mother, making you the bastard. Let me give you some advice, bastard. Never forget what you are. The rest of the world will not. Wear it like armor, and it can never be used to hurt you. What the hell do you know about being a bastard? All dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes.
0: Actually, on the uh, note of uh, we were sort of brushing on the social themes there. There is a lot of uh, social commentary in in this in terms of. This show has been referred to as misogynist in the past, clearly by someone who hasn't really watched it properly. Mm. Uh, it, it, it is a misogynist culture. Absolutely. Women are w- women are seen kind of as walking wombs uh, in the most part, or as bargaining chips in, in most areas of uh, Westeros. And that's not a good thing, and that's not portrayed as a good thing. And it has some of the best-rounded female characters in all literature.
7: It's a very misogynistic society, but who, look at the Female characters and how much power mm. they build. Yeah, I mean, Caitlyn has a lot of power. Cersei, most definitely. Seriously, is obviously, of course. Um, but I think, you know, in that society, and probably in our past, there there were very powerful women. They just did it. They they they. They were the puppet masters behind their men who they got onto thrones. You know, so it was, you know, they they worked through the men to wield that power because that's what their society demanded.
0: There's Um, a lot of Lucretia Borgia in uh, Cersei specifically.
3: Mm. I think the the one really important thing about the female characters as well is that they're not, I I wouldn't say any of them are one dimensional. They've all Mm. got motivations that are not as simple as I love this person therefore I behave in this way or I am afraid of this person therefore I Mm. behave in this way everything like the male characters is or like a lot of the male characters not all of them obviously um, but it's it's multi-layered and, and you can see hidden reasons why they act in certain ways. You may not like the way they're acting but you can kind of see hints of, of why they are behaving that way.
0: If you look at Arya and Sansa Stark um, they both come from pretty much exactly the same background and this is something Daniel Floyd has said that the, the, the key to fantastic female characters is how much they accept and how much they reject of their place in society. Sansa full-bodied thrusts herself into, into what she expects society Wants of her, whereas uh, Arya kicks out against it, and, and and so they end up as completely different characters.
7: I know a lot of people don't like Sansa because they think she, I mean, she's so kind of mealy-mouthed and just does what she wants and seems very pliable, I guess, and doesn't have much of a backbone. But I just see her as, you know, she's grown up as the eldest daughter. And she, you know, knows the history and that her father knows the king. And she has these dreams of being a princess and running this beautiful exotic kingdom. And there's nothing in her life that has ever said that that's not going to be the way her life is. You know, she looks at, you know, what her mom does, that's what she's going to do. And then all of a sudden she gets in a situation where all of her reality is completely...
0: Spoilers!
7: (laughs) Sorry! (laughs) I'm like,
5: yeah...
7: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hold on there, <now. laughs> Okay, but back to social themes. The um, the, the, it gets across very quickly the um, the notion of bloodline and blood being very, very important with uh, the Jon Snow character, where it's like you're a bastard. You're it's it's almost like he's a second class citizen, and he's just sort of shunted to the side. It kind of gets across within just a few chapters. How important it is for people to just keep passing on their lineage down through a pure bloodline of sons who are wedded to daughters who bear them sons who are wedded to daughters who bear them sons. And the daughters are kind of, the, the, you know, oh, well, I suppose, you know, you, you got a daughter, but she might bear a son someday. So I suppose that's kind of good. And so they can then be used as to be married off to other people. It, it's if, if you look at the core. It's a, it's a miserable place to actually live if you actually uh, were in the, the notion of female empowerment.
3: They're yet... sort of traded off like cattle. Yeah. It does tie in with that whole um, sort of the, the female's place in this world, though, because the the fact that this paternal... Uh, lineage is so crucially important, means that it's it's vital that the women are kept trammeled and and you know under the thumb, and so that people always know that they will behave faithfully and impeccably because. If you, if, if the continuation of your culture depends on you as a, a land, you know, the lord of, of a, a certain degree of land, you have a son to pass that on to. The only way you know that your son is your son is if you know perfectly well that your wife wouldn't dare go with anybody else behind your back. Um, and it's, i it, it, I've, I've Always wondered about this because to me it makes no sense whatsoever that a culture like that would spring up around paternal lineage. Maternal lineage makes much more sense because you know that's your daughter and it, it's you know, you know, that's your mother. That's a line that people cannot possibly argue with on any level. Uh, I never figured
7: that out either. In our you know, in you know, Western his- history, too, where you know, you'd pass down. Through the sun, it, it doesn't make any sense. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I guess it's, it was a way to—I don't know—control women. I guess I don't know.
3: Yeah, but, but this is. This, maybe, this yeah. is. I think this is where the whole um, controlling of women in that culture came from. Because if the if the yeah. paternal line wasn't all that important. You wouldn't need to keep the women under such control.
0: Hmm. There's a game going on just in terms of, of, of the way people breed and the way people carry it, it on, and ultimately, bastards ruin the game because they're not, they're kind of, they're, they're of neither house and, and, and they're, they're just there to mess things up. Uh, so, bastards, dwarves, anybody slightly deformed, anybody who basically doesn't fit into the, the, the role of strapping boy or dutiful wife is is, is outcast. It would seem like an absolutely barbaric society, but for some reason, because we get into the characters so quickly, we kind of see it from their point of view. And so, you know, while we're coming from a much more advanced culture, it's easy to see how they've, they've kind of gotten stuck in this rut of being obsessed over blood. We'll get the balls to the-
7: A lot of fantasy is kind of based on, Mm. I mean, starting with Tolkien, of course, kind of basing around British and, um, what am I saying, Scandinavian myths and cultures. And, you know, you read a lot of fantasy and you find a lot of the same themes. (laughs) Actually,
0: speaking of which, it's refreshing to read something without elves in it that's fantasy. You know, no elves, the only dwarf in it is... Is, is not part of a race. He's actually uh, born like that.
3: Tolkien um, was was all about sort of the mythology of the, the British Isles and, and creating a, a mythology for the British Isles which he felt that we were quite lacking in. Um yeah. Obviously, he was sort of borrowing heavily from Celtic myth and Norse myth and and things like that, anyway, which is, I would say, quite representative of the British Isles, which is something of a multicultural island. But um, one thing that I think is is, sort of distinguishes the, the Song of Ice and Fire is the fact that it is very distinctly not about the myth, it's about the reality and the cold and the politics and the lack of food and, and things like that. And there, there is this thread of um, of mystery and um, religion that is a backdrop to what else is going on. But it's it's not the key uh, to, to most of what's happening. Although the people, up to where I've read anyway, I'm get, uh, it, it may well change further down the line, but it, the people on the fringes of the world see the... Um, what would be called the the magic and the myth of it. Um, And it's it's obviously very important to them. But the core of it is to do with, you know, this king and that man's son and, you know, that woman sleeping with so-and-so and and that kind of thing, which seems very gritty and realistic, which is a a novel thing in fantasy.
7: In the show and the book, what I love about the magic is that it's so downplayed Mm. that anytime something magical happens, it is such a Huge impact. Mm. Um, it is really special and amazing. It it isn't like you know people just have you know there's magicians everywhere or there's sorcerers or whatever. When when something happens, it it has real impact. Mm and I like that minimal approach.
0: Sharon, you said earlier that George Martin d- uh, didn't like to uh, use magic simply in place of science and that everyone would be using it because then it becomes unexceptional. He,
3: he didn't want to use it as um, an alternative to technology um, or as um, something which was a key part of the way the, the world worked. He f- yeah. I think he, he kind of felt that it should be something which if it's there it should be very mysterious to most people and they should be you know in fear of it and not really understand it very well
0: yeah uh when we actually read the the first book um almost nothing in there uh could actually be seen as straight off magic a lot of it could simply be being extremely persuasive there is a bit at the end though of the first book slash series where yeah there's some magic stuff involved with that and it usually seems to be well there's a, there's a lamenting throughout the first book specifically of that dragons used to exist in this world, and since their fire has gone out of the world, they took with it magic
7: what's interesting <laughs> too though is there is this threat there's this mystery part of it, this magical mystery and then, but everybody's you know fighting so much that they're not seeing you know all the houses are going against each other, and it's you know the guys on the wall. Mm. It's like, hmm, there might oh, yeah, be something
6: yeah, yeah. going on, but nobody will listen to us. So. I kind of really saw sounds. it as a um, a parable for man and their relationship with nature, where we're all so busy fighting each other. We don't realize the world is kind of falling apart around us and all these yeah. forces are conspiring in the background, but we're too busy shooting our neighbor to notice it.
5: I think also there's a bit of out of sight, out of mind. The people that are stationed up on the wall have seen things and creatures that those in the South wouldn't even dare imagine. Mm. So to the people in the South, they're hunting snipes or or something like that, and
0: and things and, snarks and oh, bugaboos. Snarks
5: and, but <laughs> to the people up in the north yeah. it, these things are very real i mean
7: you think of that culture if it's 3000 miles away that might as well be on the moon you know mm.
0: but also it's not just that it's 3000 miles away in a in a world where that kind of journey is going to take you months
7: exactly so why be concerned with what you know what's going on yeah. elsewhere <laughs>
0: It was, it's a, it's a smaller world it always baffles me when um, these uh, fantasy stories tend to be just set on one continent and it, it's like this continent's entirely self-contained like middle earth like narnia and, and they don't seem to have much contact with the with the rest of the world there could be whole continents out there which for some reason because they haven't been sending out ships they haven't discovered and yet it seems cohesive in this case
7: yeah, and you do, I mean, you hear about other areas, and, and obviously Daenerys, her story is on another continent. Essos. Um, but you also hear about um, uh, the Isles.
0: The Summer Isles, the Iron Islands.
7: Yeah, there's... Bear
0: little, Island. There. Little, I mean, little tiny islands relative to the landmass of Westeros, but there are, they're around.
7: I do agree that a lot of books where it's just like, oh, we're on this world and we don't know anything about anybody else
5: like, well...
7: I also don't like books that don't have religion in them because that is weird to me. That And I do mm-hmm. like that there are different religions in, and I did like in the show that they kind of brought that into
4: mm.
7: into it. You don't see it quite as much as in the books but they there are different religions in the South as in the North and um, I was glad to see some of that was brought into
0: the show. Well, there seems to be like three... Major ones. There's the the children of the forest who are like the a very very early. Um, what did we work out? What's before Cro-Magnon? um I, I don't.
3: I don't think they go back that far. Um, but I think they are.
0: It's like twelve thousand years ago, though. So it's a yeah, long they, time. Yeah, they're
3: essentially they're sort of a very early um, primitive man. Primitive. Basically.
0: And forest they worshipped spirits of the forest, yeah. so that's all of the uh, the, the trees in in uh, in the north.
3: Yeah. They seem to have it's, kept that. It's based on on sort of very early um, pagan worship, which is usually put down as being worship of trees and and um, mm-hmm. rocks and things like that. But it's it's not quite that. It's more sort of venerating the the nature that's all around you, and the trees mm-hmm. and the rocks just happen to be aspects of that um, and then the uh, the first men come along with their axes and their, their axes uh, and, yes, mm-hmm. and, um, and I, I, do we ever find out about what the first men themselves believe because they do take over um, they they go over to the children of the forest gods don't they yeah. they do uh, um, the,
0: I think it's the Andals who have the sept
3: it's the Andals so. who have the sept yeah. Um, yeah and that's where the first sort of proper full on clash comes because obviously the first men and the, the children of the forest, you end up with this um, sort of peace pact between them. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, a little I mean, translation first... to for people who have no idea what we're talking about. The Andalus <laughs> are like the Saxons. They brought with them seven gods and eclipsed the, the old pagan gods with these seven, which are kind of like the pantheonic gods, like the Romans and the Egyptians and the, um, uh, the Norse.
3: Norse. I'd say they're quite <laughs> similar to the Norse.
0: And then in the later book, the Lord of Light being introduced to eclipse right. the old gods. is kind
3: Abrahamic. So. Abrahamic, yeah. So the south,
7: they're, they're the ones who worship the seven. The north are still with the old gods. Mm-hmm. And there's this new religion kind of coming in.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, Christianity did. It, it kind of it pushed away all of the old, the old beliefs throughout the, uh, the first uh, millennium. It, it's actually it's referenced... I don't know if it's in the original um, story, but it's in Beowulf, the, the more recent Robert Zemeckis version, where they talk about how the old gods are being uh, pushed aside by the Christian gods. So <laughs> shall we talk about... Uh, Realism, sex and violence. Because there's
6: plenty of that. Like, (laughs) a lot. Uh, I think um, what makes Game of Thrones... What makes it different from a lot of fantasy that I've read and watched is Mm. that it includes all that stuff. And I find that that makes the entire world feel more real. Like, Mm. these are just real people. Like, I'm not going to say I want, like... Aragon to suddenly have a scene with Liv Tyler where they're boning, but it, it just—it it would adds, help. <laughs> um, but it adds that layer. Then it's just a good dream. <laughs> it was a Sorry. Very good dream. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but you know, it just adds that like, okay, these are real people with real desires, and sex is a human desire. And
0: it's a lot of characterization that comes through in that as well.
6: Yeah, and um, and the. You know inclusion of violence as well i mean you need violence because you need to know that your actions have consequences Mm. and because the enemies in game of thrones aren't an evil dark lord or some dark
0: yet we don't know
6: (laughs) (laughs) at the moment um they're they're human beings they're human beings with um desires some of those desires are possibly morally wrong but Mm. they're not monsters, they're not psychopaths, they're just people trying to survive and accomplish their goals. So you need to know that their death is not just like, let's throw that bad person away. It is still a life that you're taking.
3: I think one very important thing about the way they handle the sex and violence as well is that it's it's very much um, a, a trap that I think TV series fall into um, at the moment where if you want to make something look more grown up put blood and boning in it and it, that just makes it more teenage it doesn't make it more adult um, but the way it's put across um, in the books and in the TV series um, of, of Game of Thrones it's, it's done in a way that is Again, restrained enough to be real. You don't mm. get, you know. Oh, and then they opened his guts up, and his guts spilled out onto the floor, and they were slipping around in it. Uh. Usually, well, it's, it's to not show like other Spartacus, people's Where the blood to them.
5: floats.
0: Oh. The
5: blood floats in Spartacus, yeah.
0: Like in midair? In midair, yeah. Um, like you in 300.
7: No. Um, yeah, it's well, like in it's like in 300, right? It's kind of
0: uh, oh yeah,
7: frozen, like super
0: like, um, stylized then. Yes. I see. Right. No. Well, no. They they never. They never. There's never acts of violence unless it's for a very good reason, and usually it's to to uh, elicit horror from somebody who's not engaging in the act of violence, Mm. um, or, or, you know, to to show the consequences of these uh, these conflicts, and they never portray sex unless it is for a very good reason. There's a sex scene in pretty much every single one of the ten episodes, and it's always. Um, at the heart of it is the core of characterization.
3: but the flip side of that there is a scene in which um, something very violent and horrible happens and the person whose perspective you're seeing that scene from is the kind of person who would not look and they don't they turn away and you get the horrible act of violence kind of going on blurred out on the periphery of their vision and I think that works really really well because you then get you get the filters of the people around um, affecting how you perceive the, the violence or, or sex that's going on. When the series first started
7: coming out, a lot of people were who didn't know the books or who weren't into fantasy were kind of like, they're just throwing in the sex to you know, make it like a soap opera so women will watch or something like that. And because you, it, it all fits, it all ties in. Well, it made me angry because all, except for the one that you said that you didn't like, every scene is from the books. Aren't they? I mean, yeah, there's, I think so. all stuff that. Um, you- there,
0: there's a bit with Theon. There's a bit with Viserys. Neither of them are in the book.
7: Oh, it's right. about The sex and the violence that people yeah. were upset about the whole, all the sex scenes.
3: Those are things from the book.
7: Hmm. So it's not HBO was yes. just tossing stuff in there to get boobs in there.
3: Yeah, and they're all characteristically relevant, and they all um, they're all done in a way that shows you a little bit more about that person through the way they behave in that particular scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
7: I mean, I can see how people might be shocked by the sex in like the first episode because it is, you know. <laughs> somewhat Spoiler.
4: controversial
0: well, yes. I'll leave that in there that's a taster for you folks <laughs> but at the same time it's, it, that's key that's absolutely key that actually kicks off so many huge events in the book so you need to see that yeah hmm. yep Okay, so yeah, we're getting to the end of this first one, so we're just going to briefly talk about locations, uh, which they uh, shot most of this in Belfast, Ireland, they shot some scenes in Croatia, some in Malta, and the uh, uh, Beyond the Wall bits in Iceland, and the scale of it still comes across... There's a very specific battle scene in the book. This is not a spoiler, which happens near the end. And in the series, they go out of their way to just show you the beginning of the battle and then the aftermath. They don't show you huge amounts of soldiers sort of running into each other, extremely expensive stuff going on, because ultimately it doesn't matter. It's about the, uh, the characters who are going into that battle and what happens to them afterwards. Um, it's it's a, a really great way of, of, of save, you know, saving what could have been millions and millions of dollars. Of I mean, they, they can't match up to the best Hollywood has to offer, but they can do characterisation. So I was just really pleased to see them work very, very well with the budget they had.
3: Frankly, I well, think they kick the pants off the best, some of the best Hollywood yeah. has to offer. Yeah. Absolutely. I was yeah.
5: going to say the same.
3: But people did complain,
5: you know, I, I think especially...
0: Sorry, now, when I say the best of what Hollywood, Hollywood has to offer, no one on a TV budget is going to equal yeah. the Battle of Pelennor Fields, for example. Yeah. Sorry to keep invoking the Holy Trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's tough when you've only got 50, 60 million for the whole series.
7: People were disappointed that they, you know, especially I think people who didn't re- read the books mm. um, were like, okay, we're building up this battle, they're talking about this battle, and then... What? I don't even get to see the battle. I've heard that from quite a few people, where they're just how
0: many men's heads do you need to see cut off before you're happy? (laughs) It's just violence. We've seen it elsewhere.
7: You know, and and so so that was that was one complaint I've heard from people about Mm -hmm. the series. But really, that's about the only one that you know. Everybody else, everybody loves it still. They just kind of were sad that.
0: There's a big battle in the second book, which they've implied is going to be more prominent in the second series. I hope they don't spend too much of the budget making that look fantastic, when, again, it's not super important to show giant... You know what? I'm cutting this. (laughs) Spoiler! Uh,
3: I think what it comes down to is... It's a
0: battle, Josh, just so you know.
3: Broadsword and archery battles... Mm. If you don't know the people who are getting cut and shot with the arrows,
0: you don't care. Yeah. Are
3: dull, they are meaningless because it's the same thing happening over and over and over again. And if it's to men you don't care about and don't know, then yeah. what's the point? Why would you need to see a whole big battle of, you know, numerous people falling on the floor, and that's it? You need to well, know that who the people that you care about went in, who came out alive and who didn't
6: and who won and they and they show the one-on-one battles between characters anyway during yeah. the series Absolutely. and those those fights are much more interesting because there's like that emotional baggage mm. going into the fight that you don't get with two waves of people meeting each other in the middle
3: it's like it's like with the sex scenes. It's, if it um, gives you another element to that character to see them going through that, then it's worth watching. It, you, you know, you, I, there's probably people who are going to disagree with me on this, but I think personally, if you just took two waves of naked people and threw them at each other, there wouldn't be much interesting in that.
0: <laughs> we must experiment and find out. Like <laughs> what?
6: The Gonzo um, Planet uh, meeting. It would be interesting. <laughs> we uh,
0: would oh. throw twenty naked men at each other. <laughs> oh going to be
5: on pay per view? I might. Yes. Have to try.
0: HBO.
4: <laughs> Live
0: stream, <through>, please. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, right. So yeah, just to, to, to round it up to the, the books uh, themselves, I actually would recommend um, if you're going to get into Game of Thrones. If you really don't like reading, just go straight to the series. That's fine. If you are a fan of uh, of literature. Read the first Game of Thrones book, because pretty much everything in there is in there, but it's just so fantastic when you finally see everything you've, you've been imagining done really, really well on screen. So you'll just get that much more out of it. That's my advice. Anyone beg to differ?
5: No, nope. I, I
0: absolutely agree. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they can be had right now on Amazon in uh, uh, analog or digital form. I bought um, Game of Thrones first in paperback and then eventually wound up with a Kindle and bought it on in Kindle form, and right now we've, we've had to buy them in parallel in both paper and digital versions just so that we could read them at the same time. Um, but I've burned through them on Kindle, really. And just, it, it's a series that I have eaten. Storm of Swords is quite long, though. It's taken its time, and I'm just sort of petering towards the middle, but I am also reading The Hobbit and gearing up for Lord of the Rings. And also The Hunger Games apparently is quite good, so... The other problem with having a Kindle, they're all on there.
3: Yeah. Oh,
5: multitasking
3: is slowing you down. Who would have thought it? Uh, least... I've
5: gone through like the paperbacks, and then I've gone through the Kindle, and I also bought the Audible version as well, so I could oh. listen to it while I drove back and forth to work,
3: just to kind of go
5: through it a second time. They're done. The first one is done very, very well.
0: Excellent. Okay. Right, so I think that's going to do it for this introductory outing. We'll be back in a few days' time to talk about plot, characterization and, of course, serious spoilers. Go watch Game of Thrones now, enjoy it, and pick up the books, because they are utterly captivating, and you'll want to know what happens next in Book 2, Clash of Kings. Tara, Sassy, Sharon and Josh, stick around for Part 2, recording after the break. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo, I've been Alex Shaw, and winter is coming. I, Eddard, the House Stark,
2: Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North, sentence you to die.
6: If I had to describe Game of Thrones with one word, it would be power. It's about people trying to gain power, it's about people already have power trying to keep power, and then those caught in the middle. The Seven Kingdoms
1: is a single realm made up of seven realms that once were independent and the north is uh, perhaps the largest. Even in the height of summer, they get snows up there because they are so far north. Winterfell is uh, the major castle, the seat of House Stark. It's not a city or town so much as it is a, a castle, a stronghold, a fortress. You're a Stark of Winterfell. You know our words.
3: Winter's coming.
1: You were born in a long summer.
2: You've never known anything else, but now winter is truly coming. Winter is coming,
1: the stark words. And because summers is so long in this land where we are, the winters are equally long. The words of a stark winter is coming are, of course, very literal in Westeros. Winter is coming, but uh, I think it has meaning beyond that. Winter is coming for all of us and in our own lives. There's always times of, times of darkness and death. So every house in Westeros has its heraldry, and the stark heraldry is a direwolf. Direwolves existed in the real world, They were actual prehistoric wolves. Ned Stark is a childhood friend of the current king, Robert Baratheon. You got fat.
6: (laughs) Ned Stark is a man of honor. He's the moral heart of the story. He's a man who's always trying to do the right thing. He's fundamentally a good
1: man. He's a man who loves his wife and he loves his children. He has a large family. He's married to Catelyn Pulley Stark, Lady Stark. She's a very dear wife, someone who's very grounded.
2: Theirs is a very genuine, true marriage. They're completely devoted to each other.
1: And together they have a number of children. The eldest son, Rob. To be a man and to be a Stark is a very difficult thing. We're all bound by a sense of duty and responsibility. Sophie plays Sansa who is the girl from the provinces who desperately wants to be a part of the action in the big city.
5: She's the sort of girl that believes in princes and when her prince is going to come and take her on the horse and ride away into the moonlight.
2: Arya is mischievous and she wants to be a boy and she's active and she doesn't like sewing.
7: She has
1: scruffy clothes, scruffy hair. You know, he goes on the run. And then there's lovely Brian at the end. He lives quite an easy life to start with. He loves climbing. He's the son of a lord. And the youngest, Rickon, who's just a boy of six. (laughs) Also living in his household, John Snow, who is a bastard. And you are a stark. You might not have my name, but you have my blood. The
2: strain comes when it comes to John's. Secret history. He doesn't know where he's come from why his father did what he did. Is my mother alive? The next
1: time we see each other I'll we'll talk about your mother Ned's father and his own elder brother were were killed by the preceding thing. Ned's younger brother, uh, Benjen is a uh, ranger of the night's watch. The night's watch protects the realm against a band of people called the warlings who live beyond the wall.
4: I'm
2: the first ranger job
0: is out there. Winter is coming.
6: Winter feels one of the first places they get hit by everything that comes and everything that comes with it, the weather, the supernatural elements. After the wall, it's us the guard the
2: the Starks.
0: Digital Gonzo episode 66, dated Sunday the 1st of April 2012, Game of Thrones Part 2, Season 1. Digital Gonzo. This is the second instalment of the Game of Thrones podcasts. We will be adding a new show on an annual basis with the release of each new series on DVD and Blu-ray. That is, unless we get to the end of Season 2, which not coincidentally starts today, and I simply can't wait until next spring. Back on the show, almost as if they'd never left, are Sassy and Tara from the most popular girls on the internet. Hello! Sharon Shaw of Gonzo Planet. Hello! And Joshua Garanty of Canem Rince. Hello! In this episode, we're talking all about the first series of Game of Thrones, heavy on the spoilers, so if you haven't yet seen it, go and do so at once and be sure to listen to the first podcast, which is a spoiler-free discussion of the world. To give these conversations form, and rather than just traipsing through every event in all ten episodes in chronological order, i focused it into six character studies comprising the main threads of the plot. So the first one is John on the Wall. It's not the first thing that happens, but it's a good way of starting with the wall, which is what you start with in, in the show.
2: Hear my words, and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to, to the, the Night's Watch night. for this
1: night and all the nights to come. You boys,
6: rise now as men of the Night's Watch.
0: Right, now in the first one, Sassy said that you'd, you'd imagine John differently. How, how how differently would you imagine him?
7: I I'm just physically different. I mean, the characterization in the, in the show is very much like John, but I don't know if I pictured him a little bigger or a little... I said more angular. <laughs> it just Better looking. <laughs> you mean better
5: looking, Dougie <laughs> Sassy? How
0: fussy can you get? He is hot. I but
3: thought
5: he, I thought he was perfect. I think he's perfect. I, I don't know. It's I just know
7: a little too baby faced. I didn't I just didn't picture him that way. You know
0: like, you, Even you know. with stubble.
5: As a
7: 14-year-old. How many
0: stubbly babies have you ever seen?
5: Yes. I, as 14-year-old, okay, getting a little bit of facial hair, but not too much. Mm. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. That just wasn't the picture in
7: my mind, you know?
6: You see, I, I always imagined him as a boy who fancied himself a man. At this point in the story, I mean, um, obviously... Mm-hmm character changes as the series progresses. So I thought that slightly baby-faced look kind of suited the way I saw the character. It's like a boy who sees himself as a man but isn't quite there yet and he has to do a lot of work before he really is that.
0: One of the only omissions from the book that was actually contributory to his uh, character growth... um is still there, sort of. It's after he beats the living shit out of Gren and Pip and everyone else who's, who's uh, just started with him on, on the watch. And they're all, you know, from low-born families. None of them know how to fight. And he does know how to fight. He knows how to fight very well. And so he uses his abilities and overcompensates wildly to show them who's best. And I think it's Mormon who tells him, you're a bully. Yeah. And I've spent most of the uh, the book so far rooting for him, because especially when he... um. When he finds the wolves and says there are five of them, five Stark kids, and he, from Brandon's point of view, he just—you immediately get that sense of of what an incredibly selfless act that was to say, "Look, mm. five of you guys, and then I'm, I'll guess I'll just be the outcast." Not in a kind of a overly dramatic way, but just kind of, you know, this is this is right, this is true. And then he finds Ghost, which is fantastic. Okay. So you've you've rooted for John this whole time, and then it kind of dawns on both you and John at the same time. Oh, actually, maybe he is a bit of an asshole. Um, but they kind of, they get Tyrion to say that, and he does it in a bit more of a gentle way.
7: I mean, he goes from, you know, you have to think of his life where he gave up the pup. You know, mm. that's probably just, I mean, it, it was a good gesture, but that's also probably just what he figured he should do because his whole life, the fact that he was not a Stark was bore into him by Catelyn, mm. who really does not like him because Ned was actually in love with the woman that he fathered um, John with. And that was the only his only bastard. It's his own, the only time he cheated on her. Mm. And so he's a physical repre- representation of that, and she hates him. Mm. So, you know, he's this other. Then he goes to the wall where he feels he's going to finally be able to do something with his life, get away from this. And he gets there, and it's just a bunch of thieves and rapers, and nobody knows anything. And he's he's angry, because why don't you know these basic skills that I know? And, yeah, so then he has to be told
5: by Tyrion, or Tyrion. Tyrion. Tyrion kind of shows him the way to empathy. <laughs> something that he didn't seem to have. Yeah. For people of, that weren't of
3: his class. That is quite a, an interesting facet of Jon's character that he, although he does come across as a bit of a second class citizen because he's Ned's bastard, the fact is anywhere else in Westeros, he would not have the position he has. Mm. He would not have been brought up by his own father in his in his own family. He would not have been. Um, he wouldn't have had the uh, the training that he's had access to. He wouldn't have. He probably wouldn't have been particularly well fed. Um, you know, it's, it is it is a very unusual circumstance that he finds himself in. And although he does have sort of little elements of seeing himself as... I mean, he's not, he doesn't feel sorry for himself exactly, but he is aware of the fact that, you know, the other Stark children are more, um, uh, for want of a better word, legitimate than he is. Um, but he's a damn sight better off than, you know, any other, uh, you know, a, a, a storm or a sand or a flowers would be. Well, it goes
7: back to our discussion on blood being important. He's he's not true blood, you know. He's hmm. he's, he's an powerful.
0: aberration. An anomaly. <laughs> yeah. So
7: they're they're pure, you know, Stark, and he's definitely not. Yeah. yeah.
0: There is one bit uh, of characterization which I've missed until I saw it the most recent time, when John says goodbye to Rob Stark, and uh, and Rob is such a he's he's very kind to him, and, and this is just after Catelyn has said. I want you to leave right now. And that bit in the book really shook me because this this it's understandable that she'd be stricken with burning hatred at that point. That it should have you know that she's she's got these this wonderful seven year old boy who's just been put in a coma and this bastard is still alive. But John doesn't t- 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 tell Rob about it at all, and Rob treats him as you would uh, a brother, a twin brother, or someone that he genuinely respects and loves. And you get. The immediate impression there that John was given something that most bastards don't get, which is to be made part of the family by the other kids. He is yes. just as much a, a Stark as everyone else. He may not be tolerated by his, I suppose, stepmother. Does it really work well like that? With by the his father's of wife, Sansa. she
3: yeah, doesn't,
0: doesn't seem know, to have much. She doesn't like with anyone. She, but
3: Arya loves him, and, and Bran obviously yeah. looks up to him, and. Um, I think Rickon does as well, to the extent that Rickon looks up to anybody.
0: And he does share a very uh, brief moment with his father where um, you get that sense that uh, Eddard probably would have liked to have grown closer to him were the fact that Catelyn was not, not riven with with... Hatred uh, of, of it's, of it. it's
3: actually I, I'm, one of the things I love about the characterization in this is the way the characters interact and the way each each person, as well as giving you um, characterization elements for themselves, it's the way they reveal elements of other characters. Now I love Captain. I think she is an absolutely awesome character. She's strong. She's faithful. She's loyal. She's um, you know she's got this very strong sense of duty. Um, she's brave. She the things that she um, gets involved with would cause a lesser woman in her position to absolutely quake. But John is her blind spot. It's the one thing about her character I don't like, the way she behaves towards him, which I think is its really irrational when you think about it, because the circumstances of John's birth are not his fault. Mm. No,
7: but he's that representation of Ned's mm. betrayed to her. Exactly. You know? exactly. Her um, character is so well contrasted with her sister too
3: yeah what you mean she's not insane yeah
0: (laughs) you can talk about uh, Lysa if you want to here I haven't got any specific point to talk about her but yeah she's crazy Oh, her kid still suckling Robin and he's like 7 or something it's It's creepy
7: creepy oh my god in the book, too, you know, you're just reading it. You're just like, ah. yeah, you get the. And that is a dumb kid kids. as
0: well. That that kid is thick as two short pants.
7: <laughs> they did a good job of portraying that kid in in the mm. show as well. Being, you know, he's kind of sickly too. I think, you know, there's there's maybe there's something physically wrong with them, and and yeah, then plus crazy mom. So <laughs> compared to
3: you know. Caitlin, Caitlin, I can't remember how they say it the show. You can pronounce it either way. I think. It's as long pronounced. as it's with
0: an Irish accent.
3: Yeah, it's pronounced both ways in the show. I think different people use different pronunciations.
7: Um, you know, when when her house is threatened, she goes after the people. She mm. is the force. You know, she she wrestles down the guy with a knife who's trying to get Brand. Lysa, you know, retreats, runs away. She yeah. you know yeah. freaks out and, and hides out. So she is one.
0: Lady and, and the Erie to- is in stagnation. We can talk about this in a bit, but the, the the actual the whole castle is so far away and remote from from the rest of civilization. It's safe because you can only get food packages up in the lift to it, and you, can, you you can't attack it. But it's also crumbling. It's desolate. It's filled with insane people, and um, <laughs> and it, it, it's it's a shadow of its former glory.
5: It is like this big ivory tower. Which yes, they can control the access to, but also other armies would be able to control the access of food going in or out.
0: It's brilliantly symptomatic of Lysa's detachment from civilization and its sanity. I, th- I
3: think that's what's caused it though, because she was when she was married to John Aaron, she was quite young, and he's a lot older than her, or was yeah. a lot yeah. older than her. Um, and I think this the the. Way the way the Tully girls were brought up, the way it's talked about, um, they seem, it River Run seems like quite a social house. You know, they they interact with other families, and they you know they seem to be more a part of the um, of what's going on in Westeros certainly than the Northern Kingdom. And I think to be for her to be removed from that and stuck in this bolt hole out in the middle of nowhere, halfway up a mountain, um, and cut off from everyone else, you can kind of see where she went down that route, and that that to her that's that's the logical way to be. I wonder what they
7: were like, you know, what she was like before John Aaron was killed, or you know how her descent into madness would be interesting story. But that's not that
0: I know of. And Did you know the dire wolf apparently used to exist? It's yes. an extinct carnivorous mammal of the genus Canis and was most common in North America and South America from the Irvingtonian stage to the Racolabrian stage of the <laughs> Pleistocene epoch.
3: So it's basically the wolf equivalent of a saber-toothed tiger.
0: Basically, yeah, 10,000 yes. years ago. Um... And it existed for approximately 1.79 million years. So, yeah. In other words, it's a big wolf. Really big. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic that, that, that they're in there. The, the notion that, I suppose, Westeros has evolved in a different way to our own world, but that there are certain things... Like an aurochs, I believe, is something that's, that's now extinct. Um, but it's, it's kind of an ox-like animal.
3: It's the... I, I believe it's the immediate forerunner of the cow... It's, it's what we've bred into the domestic cow, which is much more yeah. placid and, and you know can be kept in a field without kicking people to death, usually.
0: There is, it's one of many reasons why this feels like it's something that could actually take place had yeah. time, the timelines on our world run differently and had um, you know, different events occurred.
3: I think the essence of it comes down to the forests, because one of the things that when, when certainly the, the British Isles started to be widely settled... <laughs> Um, it was the the reduction of the forests that caused a lot of animals to um, to reduce in number um, and obviously as the population grew and grew and grew and the forests were pretty much wiped out that's when wolves and um, you know the the animals that used to live in this on this island but don't anymore got um, destroyed
7: i guess i was thinking that the reappearance
3: or them finding these dire wolves—they
7: kind of were all like, "Whoa, dire wolves! Wow!" Mm. And it's one of those little mysterious elements that they're saying, you know, that the dire wolves still exist on the other side of the wall.
4: Yeah.
7: Now they're coming down out of it. Is that because winter is coming? Is it because there's something really scary on the other side of the wall, and the wolves are like, "I'm getting out of here."
4: Mm. You know. So
7: it's not only. You know, here are these wolves to represent the children, and I just thought that was a very cool way to kind yeah. of start it. And they, I love, I love the wolves, but. <laughs> Me too.
0: I, I'm I'm really pleased the way they actually portrayed them in the uh, the, the show as well. It's they seem absolutely natural and. Um,
3: I was just going to say, I, I like the fact that they used um, dogs rather than trying to sort of CGI. Oh, did yeah. they use
5: Malmutes? Because that's what they look like, which Malmutes are a cross between a Siberian husky and an actual wolf. I believe they,
3: they did, yes. Oh,
0: I know they said they definitely used um, huskies, although I think I, they called them sled dogs.
3: I, yeah, I don't think they said the name of the breed, but they said it's a breed of dogs that dog that has been bred with a wolf. Yeah. Or bred that, to that would be like a mad, Malmute,
0: yeah. Malmute, yeah. Uh, I, how okay this is not really a spoiler Tara um, how big do the direwolves get in the books because I'm assuming by the third book that I'm currently on that they're still not at full size and the one of the uh, first episode was huge so do they keep growing yes don't say anymore uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, they may have to use forced perspective or something to get the Malmute to look you know as, as big as yeah, yeah, a
7: small I'm curious horse.
0: how they're going to do that in the
7: show mm.
0: um, it's a challenge
7: so, who else thinks that the worst death was
5: when Lady got killed? That, that that's quite... It's, <laughs> it's
0: sad, but it's not the worst death.
5: It wasn't the worst death. No. But it was sad. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, I have
7: dogs, so... You,
0: yeah, I mean, that, that was... That, specifically, the, the, the symbolism there of the fact that... Oh, spoilers for later books no, no, no. it's important that all the Stark children have their direwolves yeah, yeah. Sansa not having her direwolf makes her less of a
3: Stark yeah. it, it is definitely symbolic of the fact that she is totally cut off from her family in the whole of the series yeah. she's isolated, she doesn't have anybody to confide in uh, it's almost
0: as if she should have died at that point as well but didn't, and just kept going on without this extra part of her.
7: And Arya has to chase away Nymeria so she won't yeah. get killed and you're just like, oh,
3: but well, you need your wolf. And then she has to run away herself.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get close to other books at like this. <clears throat> but yeah, there's, there's <laughs> dire wolf stuff <laughs> later on in the books, which if you like wolves, uh, yeah. check it out.
5: You wish to confess your crimes?
0: Yes, milady.
2: I do, milady.
3: Speak, imp. Meet your gods as an honest man.
2: Where do I begin, my lords and ladies? I'm a vile man. I confess it. My crimes and sins are beyond counting. I have lied and cheated, gambled and whored. I'm not particularly good at violence, but I'm good at convincing others to do violence for me. You want specifics, I suppose. When I was seven, I saw a servant girl bathing in the river. I stole her robe. And she was forced to return to the castle, naked and in tears. If I close my eyes, I could still see her tits bouncing. When I was ten, I stuffed my uncle's boots with goat shit. When confronted with my crime, I blamed a squire. Poor boy was flogged, and I escaped justice. When I was 12, I milked my eel into a pot of turtle stew. I flogged the one eyed snake. I skinned my sausage. I made the bald man cry into the turtle stew, which I do believe my sister ate, at least I hope she did. I once brought a jackass and a honeycomb into a brothel.
0: Okay, right, so let's talk about Tyrion and his tour of Westeros, because he goes from King's Landing to Winterfell, to the Wall, back to Winterfell, back towards King's Landing, then to the Eyrie, (laughs) then back through the Vale, then to... where did that battle take place?
5: It took place along, kind of near the fork.
0: And then back to King's Landing again. He spends the entire book slash series just going round, you know, just touring Westeros. And it's fantastic, because Tyrion is by far the best character in a host of fantastic characters. (laughs) Uh, Possibly because he is played by the phenomenally good Peter Dinklage. Mm
4: -hmm. I don't just want
0: to spout superlatives here, but uh, if anyone out there has got Netflix... There's a film called The Station Agent, which is a drama film with Peter Dinklage. It's fantastic, and he acts very, very well in it. And it's, it's a film that makes a point of, of his stature.
7: In, in the books, the imp is much um, more deformed, though. I, at least I yeah. pictured... Yeah,
0: pointing it out.
7: There he is has a scene. props physically with his legs and, you know, things like that.
4: Hmm.
7: I'm glad they didn't do that. You know, I'm, I'm glad they have him more... Not deformed, just you know, he's just smaller mm. in the series because I I don't know if it would have made it
3: too comical or kind of you know what I'm saying. I don't know the, the he way would have been too he's grotesque, the way it. he's described in the book. He does seem much more like the um, uh, like the Tolkien style of dwarf with the stockier, the, yeah. the stockier, and the sort of the triangle the shape and the beard and everything. But yeah. ultimately, I. I Peter Dinklage is awesome and he just he doesn't happen to look like that <laughs>
0: so. I kind of like to um, translate it in the uh, from book to screen in that everyone else's prejudice makes them feel him more deformed, and that uh, Tyrion himself might consider himself to be extremely ugly, but everyone else watching from a modern point of view is like, what are you talking about? He's frankly hot!
3: He just looks like Jamie, but shorter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's got those eyes, those incredibly intense eyes.
5: I've got to say, though, that there's a scene in the book, and also early on in the show, where he's talking to Jon Stark outside of the festival, yes. and the, the meal and, and everything that's going on inside... They're both out there together in the yard as outcasts of their families. Yeah. And he says something to Jon Snow. He says, all dwarves are bastards, but not all bastards need be dwarves. And he walks away, and in the book, he casts this giant shadow.
0: Nice. I want an, mm. And that That's just an-
5: sent a chill through me when I read it, and they kind of adapt it a little bit but they miss that part in,
0: in the book he is a bit more of a mysterious cat weasel dwarf like he's, he's he's wiser than everyone else at least until you get to know him then you realise he's just cleverer than everyone else there's a slight difference he,
6: he, says, he says a lot of really insightful things during the entire series um, hmm. I think in the exact same scene that um, uh, you were talking about he says something about um, wearing your floor as armour so that other people can't hurt you with it and that's like bully, uh, bully victim one hundred and one. Yeah. So instead of saying, "Stop calling me fat!" Ah, oh, you bastard! You say, "Yes, thank you for pointing that out. Isn't it hilarious?" Yes, and I had
3: noticed. It's,
6: <laughs> but it, it's, it's just uh, he, he knows how people, he knows social dynamics and um, how to uh, convince people to do what he wants. But he doesn't. I feel like because he's been downtrodden and he's been, you know, abused, that there are several occasions where events have happened between him and his father, mm. uh, where he's been at the end of some quite serious abuse, actually. that All that stuff has given him perspective, and I feel like he has this ca- charisma and this presence, and his voice is very powerful. Uh, Peter mm. English's voice commands the... Uh, power of someone like Ian McShane, you know, somebody Mm. who just walks in a room and he's like, you're the man. Um, Mm. But he doesn't abuse it because he knows what that power means, which so few characters in this series, you know, understand the responsibility of power. Um, And I feel like he does. And he's one of the few. And the only other person I think who, uh, who does in the series is Ned Stark.
0: Yeah, who is a very, very humble man. So he's kind of he's the polar opposite almost of uh, Tyrion. They both have great ethics, but Tyrion is arrogant, and it's it's nice to see someone who's uh, venal and and sinful and and <laughs> actually he's he's not by any means a hero, but he's kind
5: yeah. of the anti-hero he, kind of yeah. We're- I think in the same way, Eddard is also arrogant. It's just that Eddard is arrogant to do the right thing at all costs, no matter cl- who it hurts. Good.
0: He clings to his ethics in a sense. Sort of and somewhat, that is,
5: yeah, that is you know, his weakness. Is um, I mean,
7: Tyrion, he grew up, and if you picture you know his life in this world, in this society... He could have been, you know, he he says he was an embarrassment to his family. He could have mm-hmm. been hidden away or turned into a jester or, you know, you don't know, or they could have just, you know, sequestered him away so this embarrassment doesn't get there
3: mm-hmm. or get out.
7: But he really has the force of his personality and charm and to say, no, you know, you're going to beat me down, but I'm part of this family too this family that's all kind of backstabby and weird
3: anyways. (laughs) The family thing, I think, as well, um, uh, Tyrion's major flaw, if you like, um, is his relationship with Tywin.
6: Um,
3: And the fact that although he has been incredibly badly treated by his father, he'd frankly do anything Tywin asked him to, because he's he's still so desperate to please him. Mm. Um, I don't think he necessarily... um, uh, would he
0: is frightened of him
3: he, he is and I, I don't think he'd go out of his way to do something that he believed was outwi- outright wrong but Tyrion's got very flexible ethics anyway hmm. so I think where he can sort of see that in the short term this is going to please his father and in the long term he can't See the any immediate harm coming from it, so okay, let's do that and, and see how it goes, mm. um, which is quite interesting for somebody who who is portrayed as being this incredibly smart and um, observant character as well. He's, he says to John something about it, the amount that he he reads because he's trying to keep his mind sharp, mm. but his his. Um, ability to work things out doesn't just come from the fact that he's read a lot. He is very, very observant. He knows how to watch people. Um, and that's something that, you know, when when people are trying very, very hard to avoid looking at you, um, it's quite handy to be able to watch them and what, see how they're behaving. And he's brilliant at, at reading the way people respond, not just to him, to yeah. but to each other as well. Um, and for somebody like that to have this almost... Um, it's almost stupid sometimes the way, you know, Tywin says jump and he's, you know, well, as yeah. high as I can. Woo.
7: <laughs> he does yeah. use his size to an advantage to learn about all that's going around, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh,. I like how you said that You know, people are trying to avoid looking at you because they feel uncomfortable about it. It's mm. very easy to watch what's going on yeah. <laughs> in any given situation. <laughs>
0: right. There's two people. Tyrion is different to every other character uh, to these people. That's Jamie and Cersei. Um, Jamie Comes off to begin with as cruel and possibly psychotic. He does something that most of us would consider to be a- absolutely despicable uh, to, to throw Bran out the window. And not even just to, to agonize over it. He just goes, meh, and, and chucks him out. And is, you know, the things I do for love. Your natural inclination towards Jamie is to hate him.
4: Mm-hmm. And as and things th-
0: go on, he becomes a much more complex and interesting character. He's just very, very straightforward. Yeah. And, um, You'd imagine that the, his uh, relationship with Tyrion would be very strained in that he's the pretty brother who uh, you know, got all the adulation and recognition and yet is celibate. And uh, Tyrion can fuck his way through every house in Westeros, uh, but is um, despised by people uh, for his deformities. But they actually kind of like each other.
7: Tyrion does have a, a, lar- a large endowment, though. He's Yes. Turning to the prostitute.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Um, but, no, yeah, but they, they actually like each other, even considering the betrayal uh, that uh, Tyrion mentions in his past with his first wife, which Jamie was a uh, key element of. It seems like Jamie has spent a lot of years trying to make up for that betrayal by just generally being a stand-up guy and being there for his brother, which is surprising. It doesn't even really hit you until some way into the book. I think when they... Um, uh, when he's at the e- eerie and uh, he says it should be trial by combat, send for my brother. And you suddenly realize that he means it and that Jamie would fight to the death for him.
7: I think within the houses, though, they you know, family, your blood is everything. Mm-hmm. So you not are not to censor. This is true. She is one of the only exceptions. Yeah. Though usually within your house, you know, there is no question. That, that your family is going to rally around you in this yeah. but, but I it's, do I, it, it is kind of tender almost the not I guess tender is not the right word, but their relationship it, it is interesting that they don't have a lot of
0: animosity towards each other. The imp and the psychopath um, it's, and it's
3: possible that because Jamie has um, a somewhat unusual relationship with his other sibling um, that um, he just ultimately he values that relationship he has with Tyrion because he's not going to get that anywhere else. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually speaking of Cersei that's the, the other thing when Tyrion is sat in front of Cersei only happens I think once in this um, but it happens definitely again in the next book um, they can see each other for who they truly are that all of their um, uh, clever machinations and being able to be who they want to appear to be to everyone else um, is for nothing when they look at each other because they're both as smart as one another. Jamie is, is is not the smart one in that thing.
5: That's why Cersei really hates him too. Yeah. She, yeah. Jamie is driven by his passions. Yeah. And Tyrion and Cersei are both um, strategists.
0: Yes. Uh, as I said, Jamie is a, is straightforward. He is a sword, whereas they're crooked as a barrel of snakes, both of them. But that helps to, for both of them to exercise with a subtlety that their social handicaps would otherwise prevent them from being able to exert any
6: power. (laughs) I think Cersei and Tyrion are both really arrogant about their abilities because they feel like they have this deserved and earned power and intelligence. Whereas Jaime, I feel like his arrogance, because he does have a little bit of it, is actually just a shield he wears to hide the fact that actually he's incredibly insecure. Yes. And I think as the series uh, progresses, you see more and more of that, especially when he has a conversation with his father and mm-hmm. with Caitlin, um, where, like, where, with the scene with Caitlin, he says... Uh, Caitlin. <laughs> sorry. Um, he says, um, there aren't men like me, there's just me. Like, so he really just sees himself as just an ordinary man, but he has to put on this this show that he's some special person but he doesn't see himself that way really
3: I think he's he has been treated as badly by Tywin um, as Tyrion has albeit in a different way um, and there's also there's um, something which is gone over in the extras on the blu-ray which I didn't really pick up from uh, from watching the series or even to a degree from reading the book but the way that Jamie ended up in the Kingsguard was quite, um, quite underhanded really. He was he was pulled into the Kingsguard by Aerys uh, and kept there so that Aerys would have a hold over Tywin. Um, and Tywin seems like the kind of person who, if somebody tried to do that to him, he would detach himself from that person so that they couldn't be used as a, as a hold over him. Mm. Um, and in that way, and, and, and also this the whole thing about the Kingsguard being celibate and their vows are for life and all the rest of it, Jamie was his golden child. Jamie yeah. is his for, firstborn son. This is who you know, we're talking about this whole um, the, the paternal lineage thing. Jamie is who House Lannister would would carry on through, and that has effectively been cut off because Jamie can't have children. Um, Jamie can't have legitimate children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie can't. But, um, but, but we can spoil it. Now. <laughs> but yeah, the only but... the only alternative is Tyrion because Cersei's children won't be. Accepted that yeah. um, <laughs> um, So the, the only alternative is Tyrion, and um, Tywin is, is all about this whole um, inherited family thing, and effectively his three children are dead ends. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's got to make him incredibly twisted and frustrated in the way he behaves towards them.
0: I love that scene where he's uh, skinning and cleaning the, uh, the stag. He's, mm-hmm. he's, I don't know if... Was that actually in the book?
5: Um, I don't think it was. I don't I, think the skinning and cleaning part, but the conversation no. was.
0: It's a really great way of showing that he is one of the richest men in the world, but he is not the least bit has no qualms about getting his hands dirty and actually doing something that, that most people would go, oh my god, he is f- perfectly fine being up to his elbow in intestines. <laughs> and just getting getting stuff done. And the way he just sort of tosses everything under the floor and cuts everything in open with this, this air of contempt. But with this workman-like ability that shows that he knows what he's doing. He is a very shrewd, cold man.
5: I and, also find it symbolic that it's a stag. He's skinny. Yes. <laughs>
0: mm. Yes, indeed. Yep. Um, and... Yeah, that's the bit where he's uh, talking to Jamie and it it just seems that when all of his children talk to him that they have this fear of his wrath which we we never really well I have not yet in the the book seen Um, but uh, but yeah Charles Dance excellently cast there He, he by the way he has a voice like Christopher Lee in this Lord Stannis has the best claim to the throne He is a proven battle commander, and he is utterly
4: without mercy.
2: Stannis Baratheon is Robert's true heir. The throne is his by rights. Sansa pleaded so sweetly for your life, it would be a shame to throw it away. Cersei is no fool. She knows a tame wolf is more used to her than a dead one. You want me to serve the woman who murdered my king, who butchered my men, who crippled my son? I want you
0: to serve the realm. Tell the Queen you will confess your vile treason, tell
6: your son to lay down his sword, and proclaim Joffrey as the true heir.
2: Cersei knows you as a man of honor. If you give her the peace she needs and promise to carry her secret to your grave,
0: I believe she will allow you to take the black and live out your days on the wall with your brother and your bastard son.
2: (laughs) You think my life is some precious thing to me? that I would trade my honor for a few more years of wo-
1: of war. You grew up with actors.
2: You learned their craft and you learned it well. But I grew up with soldiers. I learned how to die a long time ago. Pity. Such a pity. What of your daughter's life, my lord? Is that a precious thing to you?
0: Eddard's career as the hand. Short, sure, sweet. <laughs> it's... he he kind of plays detective it actually kind of reminds me and this is a terrible comparison with Attack of the Clones (laughs) as as in like he gets this sort of detective uh, story to sort of work his way through and he fumbles and bumbles around and sort of asks the people that you know are clearly setting him up for it and uh, Littlefinger Uh. we actually when we were watching it again you were asking why are they setting him up um and you were theorizing that Littlefinger and Varys were in cahoots as it turns out um and it, it took me reading it once and watching it twice to really get my head around it um mm-hmm. Littlefinger set up John Arryn because he needed somebody that was credible to uh, whistleblow the Lannisters illegitimate children so that there could be a war between two houses which would put um Peter in the uh position of being able to get uh, more power mm-hmm. uh John Aaron died too soon because Grandmaster Pycelle poisoned him because he found out too much uh, but Eddard was an even better prize because his honour meant that he was absolutely going to blow the whistle but it still doesn't go right because um, Eddard doesn't blow the whistle it's only actually through the, the actions of the rest of House Stark with the sending out of all the ravens that that actually that comes through but the whole thing was orchestrated by Baelish and because it's that kind of book it doesn't have a James Bond villain monologue where Baelish says to someone, now I shall tell you my entire plan.
4: <laughs> he gets
0: away with it. He <laughs> gets... I'm not going to say what happens in the second book, but not terrible things to him.
7: I, I I know he's a hateable character, but I like him because he's a hateable character. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't have to love... Every character I love doesn't have to be somebody I like. Oh, no, of course, of course. Yeah. He's so well-written, and he's... Mm. Uh, you didn't like the actor though what, what do you not like about
0: it's his delivery he, he seems like a cut price Gary Oldman but for some reason the way he delivers his lines it's so much of what he has to say is expositionary
4: Yeah.
0: and, and, and when he says things it, it sounds so dreadfully disingenuous that you'd imagine anyone with half a brain listening to him would go you're not the least bit trustworthy get out of my sight
6: having yeah. seen the actor in other works I will mm-hmm. say that the actor is not bad but mm. I, I think that he was slightly miscast because um, I've seen him in other roles, um, specifically The Wire I'm referencing, uh. where he's very energetic and very right. big character. And I feel like maybe um, they brought him on because they were like, oh, he was on The Wire, we'll bring him in this show as well. But the thing is they cast him in a role where you have to be subtle. And I think that actor is used to being big yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a struggle. For, so he, I feel like he went too far that way. So he was so subtle that it felt kind of deadpan.
0: But I don't want to complain too much about it. It's not terrible. I'm not, like, grinding my teeth every time. But there are certain things, like, as you said earlier, um, he gets to tell the Hound story. Yeah. Because they've gone out of their way to give the Hound the least lines possible, and to make every action set him up as a sort of strong, silent type who maybe isn't quite so bad. And they flag it a lot more than in the book, where he's just straight out brutal with Sansa over and over again. Yeah. And it's it's, it's really hard to love Sandor Clegane in the uh, first book because it takes a lot of, of warming up to what a fragile character he is underneath this this hate and this violence. Um, I- but but he took that story and said. And did you see? He burned him in the fire. Imagine that. It's, it's, it's ter- terrible delivery.
7: That, I will say that that is my most disappointing part about the TV adaptation, is that... Mm. because Mine too. As I alluded to in the last podcast where I was getting into spoiler land, her char- Sansa's character really does change, and she is terrified of him. Yeah. And he's yeah. a total jerk to her and violent with her... But then you find out this other side, you know, the story of how he came to be this way mm-hmm. through him. And it's this big
5: secret. So yes. little things. He shares would nev- secret with her.
0: Yeah, it's personal as well. It,
5: yeah. It creates a bond between the two of them.
0: Yes. And it,
5: that scene just take, it took it away.
0: Yeah. There are also various scenes in later books regarding... Um, sander's uh, relationship with fire which actually do kind of tug at the heartstrings which is, is so much more challenging if you've set him up to be the son of a bitch no pardon the pun the whole time so it's uh, i think they kind of made their job a bit too easy by uh, making him this sort of his decency is not too far below the surface whereas in the book it's so far down that it's it's, yeah. it's almost eclipsed by the blackness within his soul but his brother gregor Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Perfectly cast in in the show as this psychopathic son of Brian Blessed who would, without a wink, cut off the head of a horse. Uh
4: Yeah.
0: And this is the guy who dashed out the the brains of the children and grandchildren of uh, Aerys Targaryen as well. Mm -hmm. He is a genuinely chilling character.
7: And he, you know shoved his little brother's face against the stove when they were kids there is
0: that yeah
7: there's
0: actually um it's it's interesting actually when you there's several moments there's several other characters there's at least one that turns up in clash of kings as well who if if it was a modern day civilization would have been arrested and put into a, a, a perspex room for the rest of his life for the kind of psychotic behavior and and predilections, but for some reason because of who he was born into uh, he's able to get away with it. It's, it's chilling. and um, Yeah, there's several psychopathic characters that actually make Jamie seem not quite so bad.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shivering a small child out of a window seems to sort of
0: oh, he's just pale
3: in comparison, really. <laughs> but that's one of the things that is so
0: good about these books. It, every character is shades of grey. There is almost no one who is straight out black or straight out white. Everyone like everyone, who's horrible does something human at some point.
3: I'm still waiting on Gregor. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it's pretty hard, too.
0: Yeah, it? I think I mentioned her. There's a few... Because she's played so fantastically by Lena Headey, that she's got this sort of crooked smile that means she's smirking for the benefit of everybody else in the room in one side of her mouth, but showing how utterly miserable she is on the other side of her mouth. And so every time she says something with that sort of wispy air of sadness, you know that she is a cold-calculating bitch, but that she has had a horrible life growing up. And so, I, I, she's, never, she's never wanted for comfort, but emotional starvation.
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you again, this is not spoilers for, for further on because this is all outlined in the extras. We
0: said that about Malfoy in the uh the Harry Potter shows. Carry yes, on.
3: That's very true. Um yeah, in the extras on the Blu rays it, it goes into sort of how she wound up married to Robert in the first place. And she's you know, she's this she's this incredibly uh, intelligent and cultured and um uh attractive woman who her whole life has been nothing more than a bargaining chip and a womb And that's all that the the men around her care about her being. She's, Hmm. you know, her her father tried to marry her off to um, Rhaegar because he was trying to cement. He was basically trying to get the Lannisters in with the royal family. Hmm. Um, Hmm. And when Rhaegar rejected her, um, then that's that's a rejection for her for a start um, Hmm. for a match that she probably, you know, she might not have chased that herself. There's her um, her emotional connection certainly doesn't seem to to lie in that direction um and then when the whole thing happens with Robert and Robert ends up sitting on the throne what's the first thing Tyrone does would you like to marry my daughter? Once again, demonstrating that he doesn't give a crap about her as a person. Sorry, yes. is this a clean one? No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a game of We're discussing children being thrown out of windows and in incestuous relationships. I don't think he doesn't give a shit about you. Um, but he, yeah, he, he doesn't give a crap about his daughter. He, he just wants to marry her to royalty. And although. Robert takes you know takes her she knows she's not his first choice um, which is going to be a massive blow to her ego Um, she's she she the whole thing with Jamie, I, uh, right, <laughs> this is going to sound really odd, because I'm effectively justifying incest here, but ultimately, <laughs> I can understand why she would try to, to cultivate that relationship, because Jamie's the only person who's ever been there for her.
7: Literally since they
3: were conceived. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, awesome. She's she's the, 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 um, uh, he's, he's the one person that she knows is loves her for her not because of the children she can bear him because that wouldn't be allowed not because of the um political gain that he can get from her because that's irrelevant because of the nature of their relationship so you know i can understand why that's happened and then she she loses her her first child with robert and i don't think that whatever their marriage had the potential to be ever recovered from that because they are such very different people and would have grieved in very different ways um, and ultimately because I think she, she still couldn't even when when she talks about she talks to, to Catelyn about Robert trying to uh, console her Deep down, she's going to be thinking, but he doesn't love me. He's never loved me. His, his love is with Lyanna. Um, so th- basically, she's had years, solid years of utter misery. And it doesn't justify the way she behaves, but it does make it understandable, I think. Mm.
5: I think it, it's, it's also perfect. part of her hatred for the Starks stems from Lyanna Stark, mm. because yeah, well, yeah, she that's... was Rhaegar's first choice, and mm. she was also Robert's first choice. Yeah, yeah.
0: And after all this time, and no matter how beautiful and cultivated she is, she still waits second to a corpse.
7: And it has to be frustrating yeah. for her, too, being a twin. We're talking about the firstborn and the lineage mm-hmm. through, through, through the sons. You know, she was born with Jamie. She's obviously the, sm- the smarter of the two. <clears throat> one
3: who she could even up. have been the firstborn as well. I don't know if they mm-hmm. make that clear. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure, but, you know... So one
7: extra
0: Y chromosome, she could have been a boy.
7: And she could have been, you know, the heir and the ruler and the one who is ruling everything, but instead now she's, you know, having to try to
0: manipulate
7: rule from behind... This husband, who she didn't really want to be with, and
3: now it's a
0: rule vicariously through Joffrey. Yeah,
3: yeah. but uh, yeah. but ultimately, again, having having had this setup where Tywin is so has such high expectations of all his children, and they are all, including Cersei, I think, very very desperate to please him. Mm-hmm. If you look at the the long game that she's playing, the ultimate end product of where she's going is a Lannister on the throne, and that is something that although tywin can never really know that that's what he has that's what's going to happen if if things play out the way she wants them to play out joffrey on the throne with all of the baratheon wealth and lands behind him and the lannister wealth and lands as well and that whole area will then be effectively lannister owned and she can sit there with a secret smile on her face and think you know everybody else may think he's half baratheon but i know he's not
0: and part of the way that uh, Lena Heddy plays her, she's always got that look on her face where uh, it almost seems like a lesser woman might burst into tears considering what she's had to go through. But she just steals herself each and every time and till you re- realise that she probably hasn't cried in decades and that she's just gotten so used to living with the pain it's become part of her facial makeup. Mm. It's just sort of woven itself in there and she still makes herself look beautiful with it, but she's just... It's eating her up inside. I want you back in Winterfell for your own safety
3: Can we take Syria back with us? Who cares about your stupid dancing teacher? I can't go I'm supposed to marry
5: Prince Joffrey I love him And I'm meant to be his queen and have his babies Seven hells
2: When you're old enough I'll make you a match with someone who's worthy of you Someone who's brave and gentle and strong
3: I don't want someone brave and gentle and strong I want him He'll be the greatest king that ever was A golden lion And I'll give him sons with beautiful blonde hair the lion's not a sigil, idiot. He's a stag like his father. He is not. He's nothing like that old drunk king.
0: Sansa and Arya are the uh, girls that we can see most of this stuff taking place regarding Eddard's career as the Hand uh, from the smallest point of view, from the Hobbit point of view. They're two girls who've taken different routes in society and Sansa wants to be a lady so much that she blinds herself to what an absolute <laughs> c- Joffrey is. <laughs> I am so sorry to use that word. I'm going to bleep it in the actual um, show. Oh, no, you're because... fine.
3: He is. But,
0: but I, I would never use it about anyone else. But Joffrey, that's another one of those completely black characters. He has to date not done anything that would not make him a straight off this kid has to die situation.
4: I like um, the don't make
0: any noises, Tora. Don't do anything that might indicate that he may either redeem himself or die a horrible sh- death from dysentery.
3: He's got a lot of digging to do to redeem himself. I will tell you that much. I think, yeah, there's a
5: very similar parallel to Viserys and Joffrey. Yeah, mm. they're they're both yeah. pinch pinch faced little brats.
6: Yeah, they're entitled little children. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for some reason, that's scarier than, like, a Dark Lord or anything like that. Because yeah. a child just doesn't understand the consequences of the actions they're taking. Yeah. No. It's Unless just,
3: an adult just, takes action to tell them that they can't have what they want.
6: Yeah. This kid's been told
0: he can have whatever he wants, and yeah. nobody tells him no. Absolutely.
3: This, this, well, yeah. this
0: well, terrifying a lot of them. look goes across his face when he realises that he can kill Eddard Stark and do go against what everyone has been telling him to say because it'll please the
6: crowd and because he just wants to make it happen anyway. And that moment is great as well because it does show that the other Lannisters aren't evil because mm. all the other ones are like why would you, you do that? Doing? You moron! You've just it's ruined brilliant. our chances.
0: All the stocks. Fantastic! But someone says, was it Master Paisel says, after he's, you know, shaking his flaccid knob around, um, he's, a, he's a good lad, a military tactician.
4: No, he's not. <laughs> Where did you get that from?
0: Okay, no. carry on. Um, one, of, one of you ladies was going to say something.
5: Uh, oh. About Joffrey. Yeah, I was going to say um, Joffrey, uh, young Robert, the series, even Rob. There are people that have come into their power by inheritance. They didn't have to earn it. And so that can be a very dangerous thing.
0: That's what Sharon was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago about the Slytherins, that uh, one of the um, defining characteristics of them is that they haven't had to fight tooth and claw to get what they've got.
7: Sorry, I was just going to say I love the casting for Joffrey
0: in the series.
7: Oh, Oh, he is
3: fantastic, yes.
0: I keep having to tell myself, I don't hate the kid, I don't hate the actor, I hate Joffrey! (laughs)
3: I've seen
6: interviews do. of the kid oh, well. as well. And he seems like a completely like you know, down to earth really nice guy. But mm. I can't help but see him as the character who to punch the screen, <laughs> You must
3: that just shows what a good job he's done. And one one thing that I find really fascinating about him actually is that um uh, there's there's a thing that happens with people's physical characteristics. The more you you know about them, you you can look at a, a superficial picture of somebody that you don't know anything about and determine whether or not they are physically attractive. The boy who plays Joffrey, much the way I'm gritting my teeth to admit it, he is superficially, you know, he's got he's got these sort of quite delicate features, and his you know he's he's you can see how he is quite visually appealing. But the more yes. Yeah, I so especially yeah. from you know Sansa's point of view as a whatever
0: fourteen year old girl, you know he's
3: yeah he's he's, 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 he's the, the golden haired Justin Bieber. Yeah.
0: The bits are all in the right places. That's all yeah, I'm getting.
3: Effectively, but the <laughs> more <laughs> he behaves like a evil little shit, the more ugly he becomes. He actually seems to become visually. Ooh distorted and, and start to become more and more unattractive because of the way he's behaving now by contrast I don't think that uh, Cersei is less beautiful because you know how she's behaving because you know what her motivations are and it's, it's, you know more about who she is as a person hmm. um, but, I, but the actor playing Joffrey is he, he does do an awesome job
0: it would be interesting again Terra. don't make any noises to this effect if suddenly <laughs> you went to Joffrey's point of view And you've got some sort of rationale for why he's behaving like this. Or just spent one chapter in Joffrey's shoes, and then Joffrey gets killed horribly from dysentery.
3: If it doesn't (laughs) involve somebody sticking things up his arse as a young child, then it's not good enough.
0: Anyway. (laughs) In a a sense,
3: you can can kind of see Joffrey's point
5: of view. He's been brought up in comfort, but... Mm -hmm. It doesn't appear like his father has taken any interest in raising him or forming him to become a leader or to be become a man.
0: No. Mm. Yeah. That's
5: all his mother. And so you know what she's like.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: They never Do have they, a single it, scene it, together.
3: They have one. They do? Uh, when Robert's Just on his the two bed, of them? It's, well, it's not just the two of them, because I think other people are in the room, but it's when Robert's on his deathbed and he outright says to him, I should have spent more time with you. Oh, right.
0: I've completely forgotten that.
3: So you don't think... Robert didn't know, right? Do you think Cersei
7: kind of kept him, Joffrey, away so he wouldn't put two and two together? or
0: That's a lot of time with a bag over his head.
3: <laughs>
6: I think Robert <laughs> was just so drunk and
0: I so... I was going to
3: say, I think Robert so... spent most of his years...
0: Yes. If he couldn't fight it or fuck it, he doesn't care. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> um. The, interestingly enough, though, there is one point when uh, uh, Joffrey shows that he's got huge amounts of weakness, but he quails at one point when Eddard actually says, uh, when actually Edard has the balls to come out and say in the uh, throne room that he is born of uh, his his uncle and his. Uh, and his uncle's sister, he says, he's not telling the truth, or something along the lines of, you know...
3: He says, I'm not scripted. king. What does he mean by that?
0: What does he mean by that? It's a, it's a case yeah, you're of... You're a
3: bright lad, Joffrey. Put it together.
0: If if he actually did know that that was true, unequivocally, what would that do to Joffrey? And don't say anything or do anything to her. But okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Don't even laugh. <laughs> I'm not
5: doing anything. You I keep know, saying know, that. No. I've just played no. it.
0: You are you are being fantastic. I know my manners. I know nothing about the later books from anything that you've been doing or saying. Okay, Uh, but Aria, with her uh, training as a water dancer, is it is the kind of the the, the, the training her character has to go through so that she can make it through the the grueling events of uh, the next book or indeed couple of books. I won't say anything about what's happening, but if you you get to the end of Game of Thrones, she's off on a journey, and it's not going to be a pleasant one.
6: I think the teacher she has is so brilliant, because it's that perfect teacher-student relationship. He's Mm. kind and caring towards her, but pushes her when uh, he knows he needs to, and Mm. reminds her, look, I'm the expert here, you listen to me. Mm. And, and it's that, like, um, letting her toy around as well, not just saying, We're gonna have a, you're going to listen to me talk about the art of swordplay. He says, no, let's have a go, let's see what your skills are, let me test you and let me improve you. And when that character, um, at the way that relationship ends, and he defends her and basically sacrifices himself to save yeah. her, you really care about that guy, even though you've spent such a short time with him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even though you've only ever met him in that capacity as Arya's teacher, it was almost like he was encapsulated in that moment, as that that was the best thing he was at, and that was when he was the best person he could be. Yeah.
7: One of my favorite parts of the book, not so much the series, because you know, in in my head, the book version was better. Was Mm -hmm. where she's uh, trying to catch cats. Yes. Was down into the. I don't know, whatever the dungeon There's this
0: one, like, prime, evil alley cat thing. Like, an elite.
7: (laughs) The thing I loved in the book was when she goes down and she finds the dragon skulls,
4: Mm -hmm.
7: like, she's scared, and, you know, but in the TV, they're kind of like, somehow she knows that oh, these are the dragon skulls that used to be hanging up, and I'm like, no, she's supposed to be scared to death that there's, like, big monsters down there, and... I just I love that whole scene, and then she hear, overhears the spider and Illyrio.
3: Yeah, Illyrio. It's Illyrio. In the show, it's
0: it's the spider is Varys.
5: And yeah. in the book, he's described as having a yellow forked
0: beard. Of course, yeah. I still don't get again. Don't make any noises, Tara. <laughs> but I still don't get what Illyrio's game was. It's like he he was putting up the Targaryens for a long, long time. And it, it seemed like he genuinely thought that they could, that Viserys could succeed. But anyone would know that this kid is completely culturally brain dead.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> He's not going to
0: survive at the Dothraki clans.
5: All I'll say is he made um, a profit from selling Daenerys to the Dothraki horse lord. He got his price.
0: All was, right. So now um, the it, only Inera thing he has well.
5: left is information.
3: So why not sell that as well? Sansa, at the beginning. And for quite actually for, for quite a long way through it, her behaviour irks me
0: yeah. greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Understandably, she's supposed to. Yes. No mm-hmm. one's supposed to go. Oh, I completely understand you, horrible little teenage girl. No,
3: no, no. <laughs> um, but not not just that. Even past the point where most people would probably be starting to go. Yeah, actually, that's that's pretty rough. And and um, y- you kind of have the the sympathy for her because of the. Um, Really raw end of a stick that she's getting. The pointy um, end. <laughs> the a pointy end, yes. Um, but um, but ultimately, she just there was there was something about the way she was totally immobile, regardless of what was happening, that really got on my nerves. Um, and you're, it was just you're caught in the light,
7: you know, just like oh,
3: that's good,
7: you know. Exactly.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's for just like. For, for goodness sake, do something. Do anything. I don't really care what. It doesn't even, you know, it doesn't have to be some kind of dramatic escape or, or, um, you know, mm. I'm not I'm not looking for a brilliant fight back here. That's not you. I understand that. But do something. For the love of goodness, don't just sit there and do exactly what it is they're telling you to do all mm. the bloody time.
0: There is that um, one bit. After Joffrey has shown her her father's head, her scepter's head, and then Joffrey is... Out there on the walkway, and that the guard has let go of her. She sort of wonders, takes one step out, and considers grabbing Joffrey and jumping them both to their deaths. Mm-hmm. And it's just this one second, and it's this one moment, and you can see that they're going, Sansa could have done this, Sansa could have done this. And she doesn't. And then the hound pops his hand on her shoulder and says, you know, come back, princess. And it's like, oh, he's actually maybe kind of a good man. He doesn't want to see her die. No, let her die. She has to do this. This is the one thing she could do with her life that would be something worthwhile. Take out Joffrey Lannister. Joffrey Baratheon. Take out the king. Take out the head of House Lannister. Take out herself, which means that the Lannisters have no leverage. They have nothing to bargain with against the Starks. The Starks have Jamie Lannister. The Lannisters are genuinely on the back foot. She could have done that. And it would have meant that she'd have to die and she'd have to sacrifice herself. But frankly, what she got to live for at that point, it's just so frustrating to watch. Yeah. And then it's like, Clegane, god damn you, you know that was the right thing to do. <laughs>
7: That's <laughs> <laughs> what makes us so good, though.
0: <laughs>
7: yeah. Rob. Rob.
4: Rob! You've ruined your sword. I'll kill them all.
2: Every one of them.
4: I'll kill them all.
1: My boy. They have your sisters. We have to get the girls back. And then we will kill them all.
0: Rob's war... um... This is actually a fairly quick moment because ultimately they don't really focus on Rob for this, and he's not even really in the next book. They talk about stuff he's doing, but he's not really in Clash of Kings. Let's face it, Rob is kind of boring. He doesn't have that many characteristics about him. He's you know, he's a good man, and he's he's actually still a boy, and he's, he's given all this stuff the to emotional do. turmoil. Yeah, and yeah. he's given all this stuff to do, and uh, you know he's close to his mother, and, and it, it, he he has not made mistakes in his life in the same way as other people so he's not a disappointment to anyone and he's got a lot to live up to but but he's, he actually does pretty well at, at what he does especially for his age so so he starts that up but then that was all ties in with Brandon who I've actually put in this particular section who is a lovely sweet-natured creative little kid and you mm-hmm. want good things to happen to him and you start to get nervous when he's climbing all over the walls at the beginning and then when um, he gets pushed out of a window by Jamie you're like well, that's it he's dead that's the most horrible thing I've ever read. And then he, he pulls through and and is unable to walk. Now... Oh, God, no. It's later spoiler books. Okay.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. oh, God damn it. I can't... Okay. Bran sets himself up as a flawed, damaged character who had all of these dreams of what he could be and is actually very similar to Tyrion... The ep- episode three, I think, is called "Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, Tyrion likens each of them, them to each other and uh, gives him the recipe for a, a horse, um, a special saddle.
4: Plans.
0: Yep. Plans. It's a it's recipe cool in Warcraft.
4: It's
0: But it's... Automatically, it's like, you know what, in this world at least... This thing that hasn't killed you has made you stronger. And, and Bran finds it, you know, himself able to actually uh, reach out in different ways. And for all of the shit that Bran goes through, he becomes ten times the character that Rob is and would mm-hmm. make a, a, a real head of house for, the, for Stark because of what he's actually gone through. So I'm really, really hoping that Bran's okay. Well, Don't he, say anything uh, to her.
7: His... <laughs> um, character is interesting too is becoming broken like that hmm. he kind of is opened up into a uh, opens up to like more of the mystery where he starts having the dreams yeah Um, I love crows too so I was very
0: happy with the uh, yeah.
5: <laughs> with the crow they
0: had real difficulty taping an extra eye onto that crow apparently
5: <laughs> I would imagine so <laughs>
0: they put up quite a fuss <laughs>
5: Uh,
7: so yeah, he gets he gets kind of like this vision that's uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah.
0: Yes, he, has.
5: he does have a crow dream, and he doesn't understand why.
0: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. but yeah, no, as you say, Sassy, he starts to branch out in other ways than the physical.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: <clears throat> I think Robert and Eddard's relationship is really interesting mm. because, despite what Edard will tell you, he should be king. And Robert should be like the hand, his Mm. general. Because Robert, despite his complete... He's a shit king, basically. He's he's rubbish.
0: He he got Eddard to do all of the business side of it.
6: Yeah, Mm. but he is a good warrior. And you can tell that. Because there's this conversation he has with Cersei where he's talking about the Dalfraki invading. And he's talking yes, about so he how he has worked
0: out the tactics.: yeah.
6: yeah, he's talking about how we have five armies, but it's an army, they're armies of peasants, and they're led by men who have completely different mm. objectives. So why we outnumber the Dalfraki? the Dalfraki are warriors born, and mm. they're led by a single purpose, and they will just destroy us. We can
0: turn King's Landing into an impenetrable fortress. They don't need to penetrate us. They could just go back away from our fortress, rape and pillage their way through the countryside.
6: Yeah. So he understands battle strategy. And that's what makes me think he would be so much better as, like, um, Eddard's, like, right-hand general. Like, when conflict (laughs) comes... Robert, what 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 should we do? What should we do in this situation? And as long as they done. hand
0: him over to Sirio for six months of training to get a pudgy ass beer belly off him. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, what
7: well, would happen probably if you know originally if if Ned had gotten the throne? How mm, did that mm. happen exactly? Why did Robert get it and Ned didn't? Do we know because that Ned gave it
6: to Ned
3: got there first?
6: Yeah. Well,
3: uh, Jamie Ed technically was there Technically the first. speaking, yes, Jamie got there first. But <laughs> the
6: reason why Ed doesn't want the stone is, uh, stone, sorry, the throne <laughs> is because he understands what that power means. Yeah. And other people mm. don't. Uh, there's a brilliant line in the book where they say the chair, the throne is uncomfortable mm. as it should be. Yeah. And mm. that, and. Eddard understands that, and he doesn't want that responsibility. And the fact that he doesn't want that responsibility makes him the perfect choice. It's it's
3: the epitome (laughs) of this thing about anybody who wants power shouldn't be allowed it.
0: I asked Sharon yesterday, could he not have just turned up at Winterfell and said, look, I've got to get another hand, but face it, I'm a shit king, you're king now. Uh, Could he not have just done that being king? Could he not have created a lord? You said... No, he couldn't because you have to. I it has to be contested.
3: Yeah, I didn't think the people would accept it. And couldn't
0: he? You know, say, challenge me to single combat. <laughs> and so they have a fight. He goes, oh, pulled a hamstring. Okay, I win. I seed, You're the new king. And suddenly, Eddard, who hasn't taken a they're step they're forward, becomes the new king. I don't think the there's Lannisters. Also-
5: but also, there's a there was a phrase uttered by Caitlin or Catlin. <laughs> <laughs> who who had said there must always be a Stark at Winterfell.
0: Yeah. Well there's plenty of Starks at Winterfell, it's not Eddard. I I, I don't know.
7: 20 or whatever. Maybe he was
0: feeling. Eddard way. still wouldn't have taken the job unless there was no yeah. bloody um way around it. The entire of Westeros had a vote. They say they want you to be King Eddard. I well, still can't.
3: <laughs> I do love Varys though. Yeah. He's one of my favourite characters, I have to say. Um, he is
0: fascinating. Alex
3: asked me um, yesterday if, if there was a character um, that I, or whether there were any characters that I particularly identified with, and I had to concede that when it came down to it, the person who I am probably most like in terms of um, uh, ambitions and ideals is Barris, because he's because of his. Hang on, does he say this in the series or is this later on? No, he does. He says it to Ned, doesn't he, in the dungeon. Yeah. His, his purpose is service to the realm. He wants peace. He wants consistency. He wants the people to be safe. Mm. Um, and he's quite willing to, you know, do the behind-the-scenes string pulling and, and machinations and, and um, frankly, quite dishonourable conduct in order to make sure that things run smoothly for everyone else, uh, which I, I, I am kind of quite a behind-the-scenes sort of person. I like doing jobs that involve knowing more about what's going on than other people, but making sure that the side of things that they're on goes smoothly.
5: I was going to say, he's, not, he's called the spider for a reason. He weaves the webs that everyone else gets tangled up in. And we may not always know his outright reasons, but they become clear. Mm. Yeah.
6: Josh? At the point I am in the story, and this probably will change, he feels like the closest thing to like a Gandalf character in mm. terms of he's kind <laughs> <Georgian>. of <laughs> stop
0: it. Sorry,
6: <laughs> um, but no, he's he's manipulating things. He's not taking on the role of. I am the hero that's coming to save the day, mm. I'm not the king returning to Gondor or whatever I'm not Frodo taking the ring to Mount Doom, he's just the person who's orchestrating those events to happen the way he wants Maybe them Maybe
0: the Dumbledore to over the Gandalf
6: thing Okay, yeah, no, that's a better comparison.
0: But they're very similar in, in style yeah. we, we established that over the, uh, the, the Potter shows that um, there are superficial similarities but there's also a lot running closer to them um, Varys is also the darker reflection of uh, uh, Littlefinger, who obviously uses all of his um, machinations to serve his own ends. He's he's utterly corrupt, and uh, they, the the makers of the show made a point to have them uh, have at least two. Uh, standoffs, where they're sort of standing in front of each other, sizing each other up. I love the bit where Varys says, do you have you know sp- sit up nights thinking about my gash? I- in the same way as um, I would say that uh, Eddard and um, Tyrion are diametric opposites, but maybe it's Eddard and Cersei. Mm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um,
0: uh, having would said say that, that's both, accurate. Of, both of them are trapped by who they are in that society. They've got to do certain things. Mm. Tyrion almost has more freedom than both of them, because no one expects anything of him.
3: I'd say, actually, Varys does the thing that Tyrion says about use your um, your floor as your armour as well. He, yeah. When Littlefinger picks on him for being a eunuch, effectively, he's like, yeah, and what of it? You're not a eunuch,
0: are you? <laughs> they did create a character of Roz for the uh, show to give Theon Greyjoy more to do. Now, I'm not going to spoil what happens in... Um, book 2 but Theon becomes a much more prominent character in that and so they give him more screen time in this to set that up and to set up the, his insecurities and I think they actually did that fairly well uh, also showed that he tends to try and express himself through violent sex a lot of the time
5: <laughs> Theon has a parallel to Jamie in a sense that Jamie was put into the Kingsguard at the Red Keep as sort of maybe not so much the Kingsguard but maybe a bit as a hostage mm-hmm. yeah as
0: well. Yes. No. In fact, yeah. Hey. sure, You even said that, you know, that. The idea is, I will give you my son, or you know, we're going to take your son to look after him, if you know what we mean. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like a civil version of a hostage. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, the, <laughs> the fosterage thing was. I mean, what what happened with um, with Ned and Robert that they were raised by John Arryn at the Eyrie. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that was done. You know, not not in the hostage situation. That was that. It's. It was something that they did to sort of cement. Um, a relationship and ties yeah, um, that's right yeah I was going to say truce but I'd Alliance. alliances yeah that kind of thing it's it's not as com- as binding as a marriage contract but it's mm-hmm. it's a way of, of um, furthering friendship ties between different houses but yes you've got circumstances where it happens and it's a little bit less um, pleasant which is what's <laughs> happened to Theon he was uh, he was Ned's ward in inverted commas to make sure that his father didn't come down and attack.
0: But what I said about um, John earlier at the beginning, that, that uh, Rob's always been treating him like a brother, he treats Theon in exactly the same way. And John and Theon have taken completely different viewpoints on their situation. Theon's a lot more bitter about it.
3: I think, though, that's because um, Theon has what he considers to be a rightful place somewhere. John doesn't. This, mm. is, this is the best place John is going to get, and he knows that.
0: Mm. But at the same time, they were ultimately both raised with good people, and there's (coughs) no excuses. That's all I'm saying. Yep. (laughs) Agree with you completely.
7: It's alliance to house too. Again, where you know the Starks really aren't his house. You know they're trying, gonna try to prove something with his for his family. I don't know.
0: (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Cough, cough, cough.
7: You sent
2: this whore to give me commands. I should have sent you back her head.
4: Forgive
7: me, Khaleesi, it is yours. Hush
4: now, it's all right. Ailey, take her and leave us. Yes, Khaleesi.
3: Why did you hit her? How
1: many times do I have to tell you? You do not command I me. I
3: wasn't commanding you. I just wanted to invite you to supper. What's this? It's a gift. I had it made for you.
2: back your rags. Are
1: you Are going to dress me now? Please. But there's stinks, stinks of manure.
4: All of it. Stop. Stop,
1: Stop you it. You would turn me into one of them, wouldn't you? Next i want to braid my hair.
3: You've no right to a braid. You've won no victories yet.
2: You do not talk back to me.
1: You are a horse lord slut. And now you've woken the dragon. <laughs>
3: i am akalisi of the dothraki i am the wife of the great karl and i carry his son inside me the next time you raise a hand to me will be the last time you have hands
0: right okay so danny and danny's ascension now danny is the character who goes through the most changes and transforms like a Caterpillar into a butterfly in this. And I didn't think on watching the first episode that the actress would be able to put... I knew she'd be able to pull off Danny in the first few, but I didn't realise how well she'd be able to actually carry off in the last. And she really comes through. Danny's my favourite character, apart from Tyrion.
6: No, what's really interesting is the actress literally just came out of drama school when she got mm. that role. And to yes. think to take on that role just <laughs> coming out of drama school... It was such a challenge to take on. Balls of solid rock. That's all I will say.
0: <laughs> Khal Drogo. Um, the 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 actor playing him again looks like a giant <laughs> statue, like this, you know, huge Maori oh. kind of looking guy. David um, Mamoa. Yeah, and, and and you just think he's, he's only ever he only ever speaks Dothraki, and he's got this big,
5: deep mm. voice.
0: And then when you see him in interviews, he's like, yeah, I play this Dothraki dude, and he's like this. Yeah, uh, he's he's kind of violent, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> this guy's a cretin, but he's a really good actor because he makes Cal seem every bit as terrifying as he is in the book, but he also injects him with humanity and a little bit of vulnerability, which didn't come across in the book. And he actually makes him the best version of Cal Drogo that I think could have happened on screen.
7: I disagree about that. Oh, in the really? Point. Okay.
0: Yeah, I do
7: too. Just, um, I would say my absolute favorite scene in the book is their wedding night. No. Because this is being led up to by, you know, she's this young girl. She's being sold. She's very Mm. frightened because these people in her eyes are very violent and scary. Mm. And I'm reading this and I'm like, you know, oh, we're leading up to the wedding night and he is going to like just...
0: Raise the crap her, of her.
7: <laughs> from one end to the other, and it you know I just was so worried about her you know because I liked her character, mm. but it comes to the wedding night and what happens is he's tender with her. Mm. He asks her, you know, you know, he, all he knows how to say is no. Mm-hmm. He knows that word, and he's he's gentle with her. He he allow you know he doesn't just like take her and rip her clothes off. He he you know she takes the bells out of his hair and it's it's this very tender scene where by the end of it you can understand how she will she's feeling probably protected and safe with a man for the first time in her life
4: right.
7: yeah. See, okay, yep, don't portray that
3: so well in not in no, the you're
4: right,
3: series. Yeah. I that in the series doesn't happen. I think but. there is a reason why, though, um, because although I, I know what you mean about that scene, and it is a great scene, and it's it's very important to the characterisation of their um, their relationship. Hmm. But uh, I think it would have been difficult to put that on screen without a making it look like a scene out of Mills and Boon.
0: Cutting two waves on the beach.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and know, But go on. <laughs> how how do you then explain how their relationship progresses? Because he then does become quite uh, brutal well maybe not brutal but he does become quite brisk with her and um, that he was
0: rather brisk with me he's going to rake the shit out of me all
3: night no 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 no, he doesn't because she's it's it's not like that but there's a reason that she ends up going to to Doria and saying look I want you to teach me how to
0: well no, the yeah the idea being that she is the one who evolves their relationship and yeah, she takes control. Exactly.
3: That she point. takes so they, control they,
0: they of that's a pivotal moment in the in the show. That's yeah.
3: right. And I think if if there had been that element of um uh the the, the very tender side of him and from the uh, word girl yeah yeah it, it, it mm. takes that away from her a little bit it, it takes away the fact that she's taken control of that yeah. and she's built mm. that self because that's what she wants
0: you still got some of it he does caress her in the in the in the first one he isn't a he's, total no, gentleman he's but he's neither is he a, a brutal animal he's no. just sort of somewhere in the middle no mm. uh, it seems to be quite well executed but it's not the same as the book yeah
6: I feel like in the TV show, um, they're both gaining something from each other with this relationship. Um, Danny gets Drogo's strength and his power, but Drogo gets Danny's compassion and kindness. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think makes that relationship... really interesting i don't know if i'd describe it as love but they're definitely educating and learning something from both uh, each other mm.
0: and there is a very strong attachment and bond between the two of them as well yeah. they genuinely it's uh, you start to feel fairly soon into it that they that they actually care about each other he calls her his moon she calls her him her sun and stars even when she doesn't have to
7: mm-hmm. The the other thing I kind of missed that couldn't have been translated into the TV show (laughs) was her when she receives the horse from him Mm, and what a special that is. Yeah, and how really through that horse she kind of starts to understand the Dothraki people, and that I think that, her exception of that accepting that gift and really loving that gift, also helped him to love her more. Yeah, you know, as a person, obviously you can't really do that in the.
0: They may not have focused on it too much because it would be like,
3: oh, I got a pony! Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Again with the Mills and Boone. (laughs) But
0: the silver is. Okay, Sharon, describe for our American cousins what a Mills and Boone is very briefly.
3: Um, Oh, sorry, does that not mean anything to you? It does seem
0: a bit like a Mills and Boone, you're right. Yeah, it can.
3: Well, they have Mills and Boone in America, don't they? No. no, I don't know. But Apparently it? not. <laughs> Most of the ones I've read seem to be set in America, so that's a bit weird. Uh, okay, basically, it, it is a very long-running series of... Uh, I, I don't think I can bring myself to even call them novels. Um, <laughs> they're, they're like um, little thin thin paperbacks um, mm. of romance stories. The publishers would bring out you know, two or three new ones a month, mm-hmm. and the idea is that you... you women would buy all of them and they were, a few, you know, a few a few pound time. Um, and eventually you have this collection of the same story <laughs> over and over and over again. Boy meets girl. Boy yeah. is somewhat no, distant. No, boy doesn't meet girl. And girl
0: is, is is handed to boy by her cruel father.
3: Yeah, but, you know, the, the, they have different yeah. slants on them. Some of them are set in sort of, you know, Victorian era where you do have a, an arranged marriage and to start with he's cold and distant to her and eventually, you know, she, she warms his... his
0: Sometimes he's a highwayman,
3: and yeah, sometimes <laughs> he's a highwayman, and she warms his icy heart, and he he warms to her, and by the end, of him, you know, they're falling into each other's arms. And as as the years progress, sometimes he's a get,
0: barbarian chieftain.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it it, it basically they they are the most uh-huh. ridiculously. Um, narrow view of what the female fantasy consists of <laughs> and women have boosted this for years by buying the damn thing really, really and watching burn.
0: films based on the that watch- premise over and over again yeah. and,
3: and, um, and the, 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 it, it got to the point where they started doing slightly more racy ones and so they, they had sex mm-hmm. in them but it's, it, they didn't have sex in them before no oh, not long the long early long. ones they it just cut anyway.
0: through shots of waves it's, on the beach in the it, fire
3: yeah exactly um, we have her- Romances. That's, Harlequin romances. Harlequin Yes, ha- exactly. Yes, I've read Harlequins too. Exactly the same oh. sort of thing. Uh, okay. but, so, so,
6: so
0: basically Martin was treading a very fine line with this one because he could have strayed into that territory over and over again. But I guarantee that in very few Harlequin romances does one of the protagonists have to eat an entire horse heart.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if she vomits just one drop, then her son will be a whelp. <laughs> One <laughs> <laughs> I can hear Sharon howling with laughter in the other room. She's muted herself. <laughs> She's whooping now.
7: Oh no, we this broke her.
4: Human.
0: <laughs> Demons are dancing in that room tonight. What's oh. <laughs> strangling a cat? Sorry, okay, right, come Um
7: I, I can understand how it is a fine line. And to Martin's credit as well, sometimes fantasy writers, especially male fantasy writers, it's hard to get that perspective of this young woman, yeah. you know, without being too cookie cutter about it, you know, to get that subtlety of emotion of, of her you know, coming into the situation where she's scared to death and then actually falling in love with this guy and it not being like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing, mm. but rather her coming into her power after I've been powerless her whole life. So.
0: I was wondering about that while I was watching, I was thinking, is this attachment merely that she's, um, you know, she's adrift and it's any port in the storm, but no, that they, as you say, Josh, they genuinely seem to be feeding off each other in, in a, in a healthy way. And it's, as healthy as Dothraki, who are fond of raping and killing, can get. But, um...
3: You can see in the way that she starts to respond to um, Viserys after years of being uh, mistreated <laughs> by him, um, she starts to be more sure of herself in countering that and in saying to him, no, I am a person, you will treat me like a person, or shit's going to go down. Mm. Um, and if... I think if if it was being, if her relationship with Drogo was being painted as sort of, um, you know, she's, she's a possession and she's, she's just clinging to him because she's got no one else to save her, ultimately Drogo doesn't save her. No, no. Mm-hmm. She saves herself. And that's, that's yeah. why her, her character development is so fascinating.
0: Yeah. And Viserys, in the, in the book he was utterly loathsome. And uh, I, I just I couldn't wait for something horrible to happen to him. He was he was not too different from Joffrey. However, in the show, he's very different from Joffrey in terms of the fact that he is actually quite charming. He has a really kind of smooth delivery on his lines, and he actually reminds me a little bit of Ray Fiennes. He doesn't he has that a similar kind of coldness, and he actually almost says at one point, you know, when they speak of this moment, it will be hell. You begged for death. He's got a charm to him. You know, he's got a twinkle in his eye. He's a handsome chap. And you could almost imagine him being a king. But then whenever he gets angry and upset, he goes all screechy and chinless. And you realize that he is not a worthy man. And then that Danny gets the upper hand. It feels totally natural when you realize that she was the one who actually got all the power in this particular um, gene pool. And it just took this event to bring it out of her.
5: Hmm. I find it kind of interesting also because over in Westeros, a woman could never be a leader. Mm. But there she is in the Dothraki Sea. She's the Khaleesi. She commands people. Mm. And uh, Viserys is not in power there. Nobody cares who he is. is Dothraki don't give a crap.
0: They don't. They, They don't care about the High King. They do still say that the second that Cal dies... They're off, and most of them do go. It takes, uh, the only scraps are left over at the end. So yeah. really, it is still, still a male-dominated culture, but they do allow women to become points of veneration.
3: The, um, oh, what do they call them? The Dos Yes. Is that what they're called? Yeah. The, 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 the elders, basically, the the, um, the Khaleesi's of uh, Khals who are no longer leaders. Mm-hmm. They all go to Ves Dothrak and they have, it's almost like a council of wisdom there and they, when, because Ves Dothrak is this place of relative peace compared to how the Dothraki normally live, um, mm-hmm. it's almost like this is where they all go for, this is their heart, this is where they go for their advice and their guidance. Um, so from a, um, an intellectual perspective there seems to be a lot of female power there it's just that it's all internalised in Vestothrak and it doesn't seem to carry out into the grasslands much mm.
0: so when the actual shit does hit the fan and Cal does become wounded I kind of like the fact that in, in this um, in the book it, she sort of finds him and it's a bit of the aftermath of a battle and he's got a nipple hanging off <laughs> and he seems to be very kind of Ugh, I've never been beaten before, and also I've never been wounded that badly before. He doesn't understand what it's like to be wounded that much, and mm-hmm. he also rejects Mary Masdeu's poultices and, and uh, various attempts to heal him. And just sort of they specifically make a point of the fact that he keeps taking off the the dressing. Whereas in this, he he actually he gets the wound by defending Danny in the first place, and he starts succumbing to it very very quickly and doesn't. You know, keep rejecting the uh, treatment. So it's it's it almost like there was nothing that could be done for him at this point, and it, <laughs> he didn't bring it on upon himself. Which he it does seem more like that in the uh, the show, but it seems like more of a tragedy is going on, unless just of uh, an imbecile who doesn't understand medicine. Um,
3: also, they they are making Miri Mazdoura a lot more black and white in the TV show. I think.
0: Yeah, uh, Sharon, your your theory on Miri because you you yeah
3: yesterday. So. I, I well I I think. Well, <laughs> when you look at the way things go in in the TV series it's pretty cut and dried that she is trying to get revenge for what's happened to her people
4: (laughs) Um,
3: and again like with everybody in the show it's it's you know the, the shades of gray and you can kind of understand that from what's when she says to Danny I don't think that's the only take they had of that by the way I'm sure I've seen another take of that where she says it slightly differently but when when she says to Danny about you you know yes you saved me I'd already been raped three times they'd burned my temple they'd killed all the people that I I lived around um what were you saving um you can see what's what's driven her to to behave the way she has um but in the book, I certainly to begin with, she's a healer. She doesn't seem to... Um, she, you know, yes, she's angry about the way she's been treated, but she doesn't seem to be actively trying to hurt anybody. And um, it's I, I didn't think that her attempting to heal Drogo was... Um, an act of
0: nefarious in nature. Yeah,
3: exactly. It's it's almost implied in the in the TV show that she does have some hand in poisoning him or, or something like that. Um, whereas in the book, it came across to me that she she does her best to help and she's I, I think she does see an opportunity to hit back at the people who have hurt her so badly, and she takes it. But I didn't think she was planning it from the word go, whereas in the show I think it did seem as though she'd kind of very deliberately set Danny up to be in the horrible, horrible position that she ends up being in.
5: Um, That's interesting. I, I actually read it the other way. I read it that in the book that she was planning it.
0: In the show... Awesome. Well,
5: it also in the show as well, but so much in the book because he kept taking that poultice off, hmm. and Danny, in her, I don't know, naiveness, was just trusting this Maggie yeah, or Magi as saying, "No, this is magic. It'll work. She'll work. She'll she'll do this." It could just Why have been wouldn't she do shit this? shit and
0: actually me. poisoning his blood.
5: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, either way, I, I think ultimately when it comes down to it, for me, whether Mary planned it from the beginning or whether Mary planned it from um, later on in the, in, in the equation, when she looks into Danny's eyes and says, yeah, there's going to be a, a trade-off on this one, so should we do this thing? <laughs> you, Danny is absolutely justified in putting her life onto a burning funeral pyre. I would fucking do the same thing myself. It's a monstrous act, and it's it's making Danny suffer the most ultimately. There's other ways to kill Cal Drogo, uh, and then ultimately she didn't need to take uh, Danny's baby from from that. And th- th- she justifies it in terms of well, now he's not going to be the stallion that mounts the world. Ultimately, if Cal dies, it doesn't matter whether she's got his his, his baby or not. The the the, the riders will bugger off anyway. Sorry, if, if Drogo dies. It's, 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 it's needlessly cruel, <laughs> her part, to the one person who might actually be able to affect social change among the Dothraki. <laughs> but at the same, that point, I, I can understand why Miri might be somewhat nihilistic. Same time, she's going on the funeral pyre. Yep. <laughs> so kind of like with Cersei. I, 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 I don't agree with it, but I understand. Drogo will
1: have no use for dragon eggs in the nightlands. Sell them. You can return to the free cities and live as a wealthy woman for all your days.
3: They were not given to me to sell.
1: Khaleesi, my queen. About to serve you, obey you, to die for you if need be. But let him go, Khaleesi. I know what you intend. Do not.
4: I must you don't
0: understand
1: don't ask me to stand aside as you climb on that pyre i won't watch you burn
0: again this was the part where um in the book it was the one moment which i actually said to you no you know what magic can exist in this world because danny is fireproof Mm -hmm. and this this rebirth by fire it's even more um violent in the book because all of her hair burns off and um, and the dragons are literally suckling at her teats at the end. <laughs> I think they they kind of shied away from that because they didn't want people to go,
4: what the fuck? No, the they end. are. <laughs> they
0: are. It's so very subtle though. They're not. They, they didn't like zoom in on it and have the the, the dragon just gorging away at that point. Well, no. It's implied but subtly in just in the way that people who would go, oh my god, what the fuck's happening? Are going, oh, dude, boobs.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's Dragon's such a fantastic rousing moment and just i'm in the middle of storm of swords at the moment i have not yet witnessed a scene which is as emotionally torrid as that final part of game of thrones it is such a brilliant way to to end the the, the book
3: this is the scene that i meant though when i said about the um uh, the actress who plays danny being Extremely brave in, in taking on this role, especially if she's so fresh to the to the acting world, because it would be very easy to then get typecast as she's that chick who'll get a kit off.
7: Well, and this is what I was talking about too in the last show, and I was talking about the use of magic
3: mm-hmm.
7: and how the fact that there's so little magic in the show makes this scene even more amazing and impactful. You know where. If there'd been stuff going on all along, I'd be like, oh, of course. I mean, even though when she gets the dragon eggs <laughs> for the wedding present, you mm-hmm. like, hmm.
0: I wonder what's going to happen here.
7: <laughs> I wonder... But then you're like, well, they're fossils. They're, you know, a million years old or whatever. So how would that work? But well, I, I love know.
0: how they made them scaly for the TV show. I don't remember them actually saying that they were scaly, but it, it's really neat the way it's, it's they they seem organic in that way.
7: Mm. Yeah, they're kind of in the books, aren't they? Different. I, I kind of pictured like one like of le- le-
5: colors, obsidian.
0: Yeah, volcanic marble and yeah, obsidian. Yeah. There's one. That's right. She
5: thinks they're made of stone to start yeah. with, doesn't she? Yeah. And there's there are scenes that lead up to um her having this dragon blood, like when she's getting into the bath they say her maids say it's too hot Khaleesi. Mm-hmm. Or uh, when yeah. she gets into places like that or when she picks up, you know, the dragon eggs out of the fire in the book. Mm-hmm. They I don't they're warm but they're not they're not burning her and then my favorite scene when she talks about Viserys and how he's not a real dragon, she says, fire wouldn't kill a real dragon. Yeah.
0: A golden crown. <sighs> that's in, this, in the book, that's even more upsetting because Cal puts the, the pot way down over uh, Viserys' head and you can hear his screams. His terrified, panicked, girlish screams. From and the-,
5: the bubbling and the gurgling and
0: yeah. the- um, in, in the uh, film, it's much more sort of symbolic. Look, he's pouring molten gold over him. And it, it, it takes, what, half a minute to melt that stuff. It wouldn't even be, it would just be <laughs> warm. But, uh, I mean, son, it, you know, it's it's poetic license. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's still chilling. The way that she just sort of stands there and lets it happen and goes, you know what, this is, this is actually the right thing to happen at this point. There's, no, there's nothing that could make Viserys happy. He clashes with Sajora before that happens. One of my favourite characters in terms of the fact that he's, He's not complicated. He's just a man with a, with a really strong resolve. And um, I, I really like how uh,
6: close to Danny he gets.
7: Yeah, I like him too, a lot. He's a I very original character.
6: I, I think that's mainly due to the actor who plays him. And mm-hmm. forgive me, I've completely forgotten his name. Um, but he just has that way of delivering lines that makes you feel like he's known all this stuff. For ages, and he has that Ian McShane quality where, um, when he says something, you like feel like he's uh, talking about it from a place of experience and having done it before, and uh, you know he knows what he's talking about.
0: As Daenerys Targaryen rose to her feet, her black hissed pale smoke venting from its mouth and nostrils. The other two pulled away from her breasts and added their voices to the call, translucent wings unfolding and stirring the air. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the night came alive with the music of dragons. It's just such a powerful way to end a book and leave you going, Shit, I need more right now. Oh, yeah. I, I just immediately jumped onto Amazon and bought the second one.
7: Thanks, <laughs> the Kindle.
0: You can do that in seconds.
7: Uh, happily, when I, uh, I I actually was turned on the, the books by my husband Jeff,
0: mm-hmm.
7: and in the late '90s he was working at a book wholesaler, like a very ah. awesome kind of book wholesaler place, and he could get um, he could take home five books a day if he ripped off the covers. Or he got like a forty percent discount off of if you wanted the covers on them. So
0: we had five books a day. You must have had a library.
7: Oh God!
0: No covers, but a library.
7: Oh, so many books! But so he brought home uh, he brought home the first three. So yeah, I didn't have to wait. I was just like, next one, next one, next one.
3: I can barely
7: I to those three, and then I had to wait for so long for
0: the next one. I can't comprehend the notion of. Um... Of having of having read these so long ago because everything seems still seems so brand new and fresh. I've I've literally only just read these books in the past few months. It was like it was around August that I started, so it's it's been very very quick. And, and seeing the TV show realized so immediately after I'd finished the first book, it, it just felt really whole. Um, that, it's, it, the original plan was to write five books, and now it's seven. Is that right?
3: It was supposed to be a trilogy to start with.
0: Oh yeah. Jeez.
3: Of course, that's how they always go. Mm-hmm.
7: <laughs> I mean, it, it, fantasy will tend to get extended out, but at the same time, you're kind of like,
3: well, I'm glad because I love it. Yeah. Oh yeah, characters. but I just, yeah. I just wish they'd be honest about it and go to their publisher with the proposal. I'm going to write as many of these as I can get away with.
0: Maybe they wouldn't get the deal if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I
5: also think that he is so in love with his character, especially Daenerys, mm-hmm. that, and he's he's blogged about it too that he takes such great care because these characters are important to him. Yeah. They're part of him, you know.
0: And when he kills one of them, you know it's for very, very good reasons. It's not just for shock effect or, oh, the end of the book, might as well kill an important character. The third and fourth series have already been greenlit and they're actually going to be both halves of Storm of Swords. So technically, series three and series four are going to be book three. Um, which is the way to do it, because ultimately it's twice as long as the first two, so you know, there's no point. Either have the series be twice as long, or make two series out of it. Otherwise they would then fall prey to the condensing they, the remit was not to have to do. and This is the way you adapt to the screen. It actually makes many, many cinematic outings that have occurred in the past few years seem futile. And it makes me think that if they were ever going to adapt Mass Effect for the screen, they'd better keep it off the movie theatres. Because ultimately, some of the best things about Mass Effect are not things you can sell to a blockbuster audience. It's really... It's got these great moral dilemmas in it. Oh, great moral dilemmas. Are there any skyscrapers that fall down? Well, I suppose <laughs> we could put a few in there for you. So that's not what the core game's about. It's Ultimately, if you, if you love Battlestar Galactica, Mass Effect will work very well in that scenario. Yeah. So ultimately... Yeah, Game of Thrones is the way to do it. It is exemplary, and I really hope that it kickstarts a series of of taking adaptations very seriously. Maybe there'll be a TV version of, mm, oh,
7: it's Dark Materials.
0: That would solve the cinematic conundrum. That would be good. uh, Because what do they do now? They can't make subtle knife because people want to remember the golden compass. Yeah,
7: yeah,
4: yeah.
0: So we will leave you there. Much like the five of us, fairly desperate to see what happens next. Game of Thrones Season 2 starts today on HBO and Sky Atlantic, and you can pick up the first five books in analog or digital format. They are called A Game of Thrones, A Clash of Kings, A Storm of Swords, A Feast for Crows, and A Dance with Dragons. Ladies and gentlemen, rather than pimping your own shows, which we've already done a thousand times, point us in the direction of a favourite podcast, internet site, movie, TV show, recording artist, video game, or sandwich outlet. Uh,
6: The thing I want to plug is a podcast, which um, I only just recently discovered. And describing it as a podcast doesn't quite feel right to me because it feels much more like an audio documentary and um, the podcast is called A Life Well Wasted and um it's done by a man called Robert Ashley and um but he's a musician and his um idea for the podcast is that he's going to talk to and interview certain people within the games industry but he edits it in a sort of way where it feels much more like a story rather than an interview and he creates his own original music in the background um weaving all these um uh, clever edited in dialogue and stuff like that all together and it's a really impressive piece of work and i haven't seen anything quite like it um in the podcast uh, sphere before and i highly recommend it just to see someone do something very different with the format i did
0: try to emulate that style many times in digital cowboys but sometimes ended up as sounding alarmingly pretentious it's difficult, and Robert uh, walks a fine line with it, but it is, it's worth listening to. It's it's kind of a video game podcast for people who are um, not tired of video games, but um, very relaxed about their uh, enthusiasm for video games. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
7: So I had heard of it, um, but it seemed like maybe a year or two ago I, I tried listening, and there weren't any new episodes. Has he, has he restarted again, or...?
0: Um, he releases one every six months to a year. I think.
6: Yeah, yeah I've seen he's that way. Okay. very infrequent, but mm. it's one of those things where it's not a podcast where you need to listen to the latest one. It's nice just to go back and listen to the older ones. Mm. Anyway, that's what I'm plugging. Go listen to it.
7: Okay, well, I have I have one little one and one bigger one. The one. The one I wanted to recommend for Game of Thrones-related stuff that I found today is a site called Tower of the Hand which is a fan-run site, and it has synopsises, synopsises <laughs> of all of the books, all of the characters. It's just a really interesting uh, wealth of information if you're in the books and you can't remember you know who is this character again. There's a lot of names, things like that. Um, but my main thing I wanted to plug is a podcast called The More You Nerd, and they are two friends, and each week they take on a t- challenge to expand their nerd horizons. So they might do Mass Effect, or they might do uh, anime. They did one called Black Butler, which I know Tara is now watching that anime. Um, and so they, they do a little, you know, kind of catch up at the beginning, but then the meat of their show is, is talking about this new nerdy challenge that they've taken on, and they take their challenges from from the audience and and sometimes from each other, but they have a great rapport and it is a great show.
5: Um, As Cassandra did mention, I'm watching Black Butler. This started out as a manga um, that had been put out in Square Enix's monthly um, G-Fantasy magazine, Um, but now it is an anime and it follows the story of uh, a butler named, who's been named Sebastian. He's demonic And he's bound by a supernatural contract to serve this 12-year-old head of a noble family called the Phantom Hives. This child acts so much like an adult because his parents were were murdered. And so the contract with this butler is to find out who killed his parents and avenge their deaths and avenge their family name. And it just go it, it goes about two series and I are two seasons and I'm through the getting through the second one right now. It is just awesome. It's filled with dark humor and uh dastardly deeds.
0: Black Butler.
5: Yes, and it Shh. takes place in Victorian era London. So it's Sharon. got a bit of steampunkiness
3: <laughs> to it as well.
0: Sharon, what's your recommendation?
3: Um I am going to go with Roots Ah oh, yes, which we have been watching lately. Um, probably had a few nights off now, so we really ought to we get to back cram- to it. We had to
0: cram Game of Thrones. We did,
3: yes. We, we had to cram Game of Thrones in, but um, it's it is a quite an old TV series. Right, um, Seventy six, and uh, it is uh, a multi generational. Uh, series of, of very long episodes—they're um, almost an movie length, each, aren't they? They're an hour and a half six each. Episodes. Yeah, um, and it it follows um, basically the the progress of uh, slavery um, and how that—not not back to sort of how it started, but it it follows um, a young uh, black man who is captured in Africa and brought over to America as a slave you see his journey of, of how he got to the US and, um, and how you know what his life's like as he gets older and we're up to the point where it's starting to, to move on to the next generation now um, and I've been really, really fascinated by it and it was completely out of left field I, it wasn't something that I in all honesty had ever really known anything about um, and um, somebody very kindly got us it for Christmas mm. um, and uh, yeah, really impressed by it so far
7: if you like the series, I recommend the book because it is based
3: on a book. It is, yes, it is, isn't it? A
0: really good and book. Perfect example of how you know they've been doing the Game of Thrones thing, uh, you know, for decades now. It's just that it, it, they've stopped doing miniseries. But um, I think they did. Dune was a really good miniseries as well, the, the more recent one.
7: I will say that uh, I was. You said it came out in '76. Yeah. So I was a little kid, and I remember. I mean, it was a huge deal yeah. over here at that point in time, because I think it was probably really the first portrayal of slavery from the slaves' point of view on television.
5: Mm-hmm. And, and we weren't really past that, that far past the era of
3: civil rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It would have been a decade after, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
7: yeah. and every, I mean, it was like everybody watched, you know, that was the time when you had three TV channels. <laughs> so everybody watched Ruts when that came out, so. It is a good show, and Lavar Burton
0: plays Kunta Kinte. Kunta Kinte, and uh, oh, what's the name? John Westwing Fitzwilliams, Fitz John Amos, and oh, yeah, John Amos. Yeah.
7: Yes, he was in he was in Good Times, which was very popular at that point in time too. So,
0: well, mine's going to seem remarkably trivial, but it'll be a, a good preparation for a certain film that's coming out soon. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but I'm going to say it again. Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It is a animated show uh, about, about the uh, Marvel characters. It's, it's come out fairly recently. It is available on DVD, four volumes. The first two are available in the UK. The second two will be available before the Avengers movie comes out. It is, without a doubt, one of the two best Marvel series ever committed to TV. They They've shied off the Avengers for decades, and when they finally put them on screen, they actually did a, a crappy version in 1999 without the central trio that everybody wants to see The Avengers 4, but they've done it right this time, and they've added The Hulk as well. And it's actually, it's surprisingly in-depth, it's surprisingly twisty, it's, it's, it's pretty grown up, and my daughter loves it, and she's three. It's a show that the whole family can enjoy, as long as they like superheroes. So yeah, that will prepare you for uh, Avengers Assemble, if you live in the UK. Because I don't know if you ladies know this, the, the Avengers is called Avengers Assemble because they think we might confuse it with that one with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman from 1998, you <laughs> which know.
5: also came from a from a series yeah. called The Avengers.
0: The Avengers, which is nothing to do with that, and there's not a person alive today who can't tell the difference.
3: Will you please, for the love of God, stop assuming everyone is stupid? Who are you talking to? Just the people who make these decisions. I don't think they're listening to this podcast.
0: Osha, Asha, I'm confused. Right. <laughs> we will be back for a third podcast after this new series has finished. Stay tuned to the very end for a hint at what's coming up on Gonzo next week. I'll give you a clue. We're not straying far from the Stark family. Until then, I leave you with the music behind the trailer for Series 2 of Game of Thrones. This is Florence and the Machine with Seven Devils. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo, I've been Alex Shaw, and winter is coming. Power is a curious thing. Who lives? Who dies? Power resides
4: where men believe it resides. It's a trick, a shadow on the wall. (laughs)
3: I wonder if this is the price for what we've done for our sins. Seven Seven in your
1: house. So it. Three
4: victories don't make you conqueror. It's better than three to fate.
2: I will hurt you for this. The day will come when your joy will turn to ashes. You will know the debt is paid. Anyone can be killed.
1: Day 11, test 37, configuration 2.0. For lack of a better option, dummy is still on fire safety. If you douse me again, and I'm not on fire, I'm donating you to City College. All right, nice and easy. Seriously, just going to start off with 1% thrust capacity. In three, two, one. Please don't follow me around with it either, because I feel like I'm gonna catch on fire spontaneously. Just stand down, if something happens, then come in. And again, let's bring it up to 2.5. Three, two, one.